Paul from Manchester Hurst. I'm taking that shit to the bowl. You can put a stack of films in one hand and you can shit in the other. And you tell me which one's going to entertain you more. You got to take that shit to the bowl, baby. Take that shit to the bowl. Take that shit to the bowl. <laughs> well, hello, brothers. I believe you know who this is. Perhaps you're wondering why I would call you before throwing you out of a plane. I hear that you're doing your top films for this year. I don't know if my film will be on it. I hope it is. You can take that shit to the bowl. Hey, GGTMC, it's Christian. Take that shit to the bowl. Hey, this is the back of Forrest Whitaker's neck. Take that shit to the ooey bowl. This is Evan's trash. Take that shit to the bowl. <laughs> Yo, it's Matt Zucker. I want you to take that shit to the bowl, homie. <laughs> Hello, gents. This is Matt, and welcome to the fifth annual GGTMC Top Ten, and you can take that shit to the bowl. Hey, this is Clay Young. It's been a good year, so uh, you guys take that shit to the bowl. Hey, this is Ken Hall from the Facebook forums. Just remind y'all to take that shit to the bowl. Hi, take that shit to the bowl. And for the first time ever, my daughter, Brittany, <laughs> take that shit to the bowl. What up? <laughs> Gentlemen, take that shit to the bowl. Yeah. Hey, Cody, take that shit to the bowl. Gentlemen, this is Todd. Take that corn pup to the bowl. Yep. Been a long time since you heard me in my care. Or baby skeleton. <laughs> and I sincerely hope that the GGTMC continues to take that shit all the way to the bowl. <laughs> This is Robert from Cinephile Activity. Take that shit to the bowl. Hey, boys, this is Blake Ellis. Take that shit to the bowl. Gentlemen, take that shit to the bowl. Mm. I want you to take that shit, that warm, mushy brown shit, and carefully, very carefully, take it to the bowl. Oh, I'm gonna fucking take that shit to the bowl. This is the ever-loving blue-eyed bug saying the gentlemen are conveying those feces to the receptacle. Hi, this is Alan Grover from the Facebook page. And take that shit to the bowl. Hello, fine gentlemen. This is Kelly. And you can take that shit to the bowl. This is Mars, and I'm going to take that shit to the bowl. Hey, this is Bernie Sticky, and uh, I'm just getting fed up of asking you, can you please just take that shit to the bowl? Thank you. Take that shit to the bowl. Jack Nicholson. This is President. You can take that shit to the bowl. This is Johnny Wolfenstein from Trick or Treat Radio. You guys have consistently called in great film picks for our GGTMC Flick Pick of the Month. So I figured that the very least I could do was to call in for your year-end spectacular show. And I know both you guys, Big Willie, Samurai, you're going to take that shit right to the mother effing bowl. Okay, guys, just this one time. Ready? One, two, three. You can take that shit to the bowl. Take that shit. To the bowl. Take that cack to the lavatory. Odale mi cornitos. This is CDR telling you to take that shit to the motherfucking bowl. Gentlemen, this is the almighty all-cock. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, take that shit to the bowl.
This is your Mr. Stallone. And take that shit to the bowl. Motherfucker to clean your shoes and raise those glasses of J&B, ladies and gentlemen. This is the GGTMC Top 30 of 2012. Welcome to the GGTMC Top 30 of 2012. I put together just whatever I could find to um, for that Ooh, intro. <laughs> I was like, I needed a party song, and I was like, well, why not just put the party song on there? I, you know, just go with that. <laughs> I, I've never went from 
really believing that I could take out Clubber Lang <laughs> to really believing that I wanted to drink champagne out of Chaka Khan's butthole. <laughs> that was a master of work. Yes. And I didn't know we would be talking about Chaka Khan's butthole this morning. So to each of their own, <laughs> <laughs> there's always room for first on the GGTMC. Doing it for five years. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, yes, this is our Top 30 show. We are finally here. We have finally made it. Uh, lots of cramming, lots of uh, work, lots of uh, good times as well. And uh, I just want to say, you know, thanks to everybody who's sending voicemails and emails. We'll get to the emails later and stuff. Um, I, you know, just really appreciate it. I'm glad everybody's having so much fun with this and so many people play along. And I'm sure Will feels the same way. Absolutely. To see in our news feed and on our Facebook group, Cramming, cramming this, cram, cram. You know, it uh, it makes us feel great, man. It, it, it just confirms what we always talk about with the community, the sense of, you know, of, of a community and, and uh, all of us kind of in it together in our love of film. So it, I, everyone hearing that really makes it worth getting up in the morning and hearing what you put together. Because Sammy did that. I had no part in putting that together. I got I to gotta say, um it it was amazing, man. It's uh, oh, bravo. The Kramer Lemon Ding Dongs. There's a good yeah. story. There's a good story behind the uh, celebration song as well, which uh, I'll tell you after I after I stop hitting uh, after after we take a break. I'll tell you about it. Pretty yes. funny. Pretty okay, funny. Good. I, I came across it. Oh, never mind. I'll tell you later. Anyway, um, yes. okay. So we are going to do our uh, top thirty of the year. We call them gold, silver, and bronze. This year, we've decided. Uh, off the air that, uh, you know, well, and so much on the air that we're going to play Koi Roy to the nth degree. So neither one of us, we were talking about this the other night, just to give you guys a full behind the scenes. We're pretty sure that one film we both know will be in our top 10, <laughs> but uh, outside of that one, maybe two, neither one of us know what the hell the other's going to put on their list. So we've been Koi Roy maybe more this year than we have in any years past. I'd say oh, I'd say it even to the point that we're playing games with each other at this point. <laughs> yeah, time to play the game. Yes, it's it's so hard because you and I love stretching out like talking about film and there's films that I've wanted to talk about for better or worse for the better part of a year. I know, <laughs> and it's just oh man, finally I can get this off my fucking chest. <laughs> so good, nice. All right, so. Um, hey, well, I guess we'll just get into it. I mean, uh, there's no need to take breaks, nothing like that. We got a beefy show here. Uh, we got a lot of big lists coming from uh, listeners. Um, I want to take an opportunity to thank the celebrities that called in with their take the shits to the bowl. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Those always make me smile uh, putting those together. <laughs> there's no way to, I mean, people just amazingly surprise you all the time with that stuff. <laughs> so. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like the Gramercy riff said, <laughs> magic, a whole lot of magic. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, oh, no, that was the Warriors talking about the riffs. Never mind. Either way, it's magic. Yeah. Like Shaka Khan's butthole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Mm. Sorry, I had to take a drink of a beverage there. Okay, so. Usually, yeah, usually we, uh, usually we, Jesus, usually we uh, start with our top tens. I guess we'll do the same thing as we always do, and uh, get going on it. So, without further avail, 
I bid to you, Large William. Let's get this going. All right, all right, all right. My first film is from Europe. It is a film that I wanted to see. I, I had my dirty hands on probably midway through the year. And uh, I started watching it very late at night, like one in the morning or something. I'd already watched a film or two, and I just I couldn't do it. It wasn't any you know any fault of the film, but uh, it's a film from Norway, and it's a film that specifically talks about the capital of Norway in its title. It's Oslo, August thirty first, the uh, Joachim Trier film. Ah yes, we talked about this one not long ago, didn't we? A little bit. Oh. Uh, Boy, what a great film. I mean, you know, the thing I love about it is the fact that uh, it looks like a guy who's 34 years old. He gets out of a drug rehab center, and he's kind of at a crossroads in his life. And I think he's at the point that a lot of us realize around our age, because I'm uh, I'm 33, and uh, you are 39? Yeah, I'll be 40 soon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... Uh, it's one of those things where you, you realize you're not really young anymore per se. And it's, it's very, it's wistful and it's even more regretful than we would be because this guy squandered a lot of his good years in a drug haze. Um, and it just feels so real. I mean, the film, the film feels almost at times like a documentary and at other times beautifully cinematic. So that's my number 10. Nice. Nice. I'm a fan of that pick. All right. Yeah, cool. <laughs> my number 10. <laughs> Film called General Orders Number Nine. Oh, I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. So, General Orders Number Nine is a very interesting documentary. It's basically a kind of look at how small towns in America, and you could really put it in any sort of, I don't know, you could, well, you could say just North America, really, in a way. Um, it's a look at how humanity branches out from small town. With the center of town and everything else to where it ha- where it's become now, where we just keep getting wider and wider and wider, and we keep taking more of Mother Nature over, we keep taking more of all these things over. And uh, one of the uh, great lines from the film was, uh, or the great uh, lines from the synopsis was, "One last trip down the rabbit hole before it gets paved over." Oh boy! And uh, it's it's pretty great, but it, I have to warn everybody that Texas film out it is an experimental documentary. And for some, it's going to be dry as a bone. <laughs> but it is incredibly interesting to look at humanity in the way that this film does and the way that it's changed. Civilization has changed in the way we've changed. And I think if you look at it, it's it's really, really interesting to see how, you know, I've, I've said this on the show before that, you know, like humanity is almost, you know, not, not to put a bad word on it, but we're almost like a virus. We, we land in a spot and then we just spread. It just gets wider and wider and wider, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of it, it, it. Just really, it, I think it takes a look at a small town in the south, Georgia, I believe, and just shows how how much has changed in just a brief amount of time, and how much uh, how much progress progress for some uh, de- to the detriment of nature for others. So, and it doesn't it doesn't lean one way or another. It leaves it up to you. So, incredibly impressive, and it's a gorgeous movie, by the way. I mean, it's a, a Malikian in the way it looks. So oh, wow. uh, I would advise everybody to check it out. However, if you grow bored, I'm sorry, but it is very interesting, to say the least. It it sounds almost like a Kleanoskazi type uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. Is, is there any narrative to it? Like, um, yeah, there's narrative. Or, uh, voiceover? Yeah, there's narrative. It is like a Kleanoskazi type thing. That's a good. That's a good call. I didn't even think of that, but that is kind of like what it. But it. But it's it, terribly interesting. 
Terribly interesting, gorgeous film. Oh man, I'm going to be cramming for another month with films like that. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. Yes. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, my number nine is a film from a director from Europe who was kind of new to the film game. Uh, He was much more known for his artistic endeavors in other fields. And in 2008, his debut film, um, which has since been released on Criterion, became, it was my number four film of the year. And in fact, it featured the same lead. It looked at Bobby Sands and uh, Hunger Strike that uh, Bobby Sands was on. And that film starred Michael Fassbender as this, this one. Mm-hmm. This is a film I know you're not as high as I am, uh, obviously, on. I, I desperately wanted to see it before we did our year-end show last year, and it just, it, you know, it, I couldn't get my hands on it. I saw it about a week ago, um, and it just, I'm still, I still find myself thinking about it. It's uh, Steve McQueen's Shame. Yes. Every time I hear Steve McQueen's name, <laughs> it's such an unfortunate thing. Every time I hear it. <laughs> I know, and the funny thing is, Steve McQueen's a big black dude with a British accent, so it's, yeah, uh, he yeah. looks nothing like. I'd say he's the, like the complete opposite of the Steve McQueen, you know, the American white dude. Yeah, he's kind of no no frills, just no, you know. Yeah, I believe he's homosexual yeah. as well, so I'd say he's probably <laughs> nothing like the yeah. other Steve McQueen who is, you know, macho, muy macho. Yeah, it's uh, but man, I'll tell you, McQueen is one I will I will always keep my eyes on. Yeah. I think the film has. Like a lot of great films, it's it's not ambiguous. I mean, in a way, you could say ambiguous in a detrimental sense, but I think it's more it's interpretive, and it's like an onion. There are layers, layers you can peel off, and the title "Shame" to me is so evocative and so um, it's almost like an elusive mystery or puzzle in a way. Not even a puzzle, but just it, it has such a varied meaning for everyone and everything in the film, specifically the the, the, t- the not the, the titular, but the character Brandon, the lead, Fassbender. And right. I'll tell you, I was never sold on Fassbender. Like, not, I always liked him, mm-hmm. but seeing him in that performance elevates him for me to, okay, I now I, I will say I will watch anything Fassbender does, yeah. despite already liking him before this. Like, man. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you didn't uh, pull away. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you got some of the same things from the film I got. Not oh, when you said that, yeah, not just when you said that you can you felt the same way about something that a lot of people felt contrary to what you and I thought about that character. I was like, thank goodness, man, because I I didn't get that vibe. But I think people are associating his affliction too much with his past. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Versus think, his yeah. affliction being a byproduct of just general stuff from his past. Right, so. right, yeah. So I'm glad you. I'm definitely glad you got that because, uh, yeah, I had some issues with the back end of it uh, last year. Um, but, uh, cause I managed to get it in last year before we did our show, but, um, I still think it's a good film. I do, I do really think it's a good film. If it missed my top 30, uh, it just, it just missed it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a good film and Fassbender is great in it. And also Carrie, Carrie Mulligan's great in it too. She's really good. Oh man. So yeah, two of the be- two of the finest, uh, young under 40 actors mm-hmm. of our time. Yep. Doing very good work. Uh, also the, uh, the carpet doesn't match the drapes and the, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in that fastbender situation. No, anyway, uh, we, get to, we get to see a lot of A-list Quinani this year in film. <laughs> All right, uh, okay, good. Uh, my number nine. Uh, here we go. A little. I don't think this is controversial because I think a lot of people will feel this way that have seen this. But it's uh, John dies at the end. Yes. Yeah, John dies at the end. Old Don Coscarelli here. Uh, 
I, of course, I wanted to see this film anyway because I'm a Coscarelli fan. Um, but I am really impressed with what Don Coscarelli did with this film. Uh, it's low budget. It's immensely entertaining. Uh, it is not perfect by any means. But there's fewer films this year I had as much fun with as John does at the end. Uh, it played games with me. It just kind of toyed me around. I felt like a like a little ball that a cat just tosses around. That's what I felt like. Um, but, I, you know, I... With with certain filmmakers, we would call that master filmmaking in a way because the filmmaker has you in his hands. Yeah. And I think we should be able to call it that with Don Coscarelli, who's been doing this now for a while. 30-plus years. And doing it on a low budget uh, with hardly any money and picking material that isn't it isn't popular. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, it's, you know, he's mostly known for the Phantasm films, and he just, you know, he's, he's still terribly independent in a lot of ways and his material choices and – I just had a great time with the film. I thought the acting was good, uh, if not great. Um, of course, I do wish some of the character be, uh, actors were in it more, but I understand why they weren't. And uh, these type of films can be a mixed bag, you know, where they're messing with the mind and things like that. But this one really works, and it's it's a, got a lot of style, and it's got a lot of substance. So, yeah, if you guys haven't checked out that John Dies at the End, you heard Will say yeah there. I mean, I, I'm sure he recommends it as well. I mean, it's it's a phenomenal genre movie. Oh, man. And you're right. Cosplay doesn't get enough acclaim. I mean, he is a great genre director, period. He's done so much, so many things in the genre. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's And, yeah, he really, my hat's off to him. And no one's really talked about him, but Glenn Turman's amazing in the film. Oh, yeah. Glenn Turman is great in the film. Oh. Yeah. Amongst everyone else. I mean, everyone is, but wow. Yeah, Glenn Turman. It's, it's so great to see him in a turn like that. Big time, man. I mean, I think he okay. was, wasn't he, uh, he was in Super 8 as well, I believe. Yeah, the year of the Termin, man. He, yeah. uh, he had that as well. Well, I guess that was last year, but he's had a nice few things. And I think it's that thing of filmmakers, although Coscarelli's a little older than us, certainly, but, um, you know, he was around in our in our childhood, Gremlins and so forth, Termin, yeah. that yeah. is. So it's it's nice to see people, you kind of remembering him and, and bringing him back. Because he had, a, he had some time off there, and it's, it's too bad, because I wish he had done more, man. Yeah, in, in, in those years. So, good stuff, man. Very, very good. Um, speaking of A-list Punani, <laughs> my next film <laughs> takes place in the sweaty, dirty, nasty Florida Everglades. Ooh. We see men. We see men tied up. <laughs> we see mutual masturbation in a prison. Wait, we're not doing our top ten we podcast. See, this is this silver gold. <laughs> <laughs> we see Nicole Kidman like you've never seen her before. <laughs> it is Lee Daniels, another filmmaker. Yes, um, another filmmaker who, in the five years we've been doing this, has managed to put two films in my top ten. It is a film that really caught fire with a lot of us near the back end of. Uh, Cram Jam, it's uh, The Paperboy. What a film. Yes, indeed. Oh, <laughs> I, I I can't say enough about this. Everyone, you know, and everyone talked about Killer Joe, and no disrespect to Killer Joe is on my list. Yes. But, uh, oh, man, this film is just, it takes a lot of the things Killer Joe does and turns, up, <laughs> turns it up, man. It turns it up as another, uh, puts more, like, sand in the sandwich yes makes it gr grittier and you know just more butter and sand in the sandwich just greasier and grittier and 
the end, like you and I have talked about off the air, you know, kind of jaw hits the floor when, when something happens to a character. <sighs> yeah, I, I, bravo to Lee Daniels. I, it's a shame that this film has been panned as much as it has because, you know, everyone puts in such brave performances from Cusack to Efron. Give it up to Efron, put in a great performance. This film is a modern version of uh, Arthur Penn's Night Moves, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, brilliant film. Yeah. It is, great. it is a great movie. I have to agree with you on that. Definitely. I mean, it is so sweaty, so nasty, so sleazy. <laughs> um, I remember when I, I told you to check it out, I remember saying, I remember thinking in my head, well, he's not a Cusack guy, so we'll see how that goes. But then, you know, this is not a Cusack performance. <laughs> no. Not his, uh, you know, not his wheelhouse type stuff he does. So... And uh, never has tearing a pair of pantyhose been hotter. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> got got to me a little bit. Got to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, man. <laughs> all right, uh, my number eight. <clears throat> Talked about it a little bit already, but we'll talk about it a little bit more. It's uh, Oslo, thirty first August. Nice. Uh, yeah, I love this film. I think it's gorgeous. Uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, the aesthetic it chooses is a little, in a weird way, you know, that walking behind the character type aesthetic. You know, there's parts of it that remind me of Enter the Void, like the the quieter mm-hmm. cousin of Enter the Void. Yeah, uh, good call. But it's a very introspective introspective piece. That's what I think I liked about it the most. And I, and I felt like it handled drug addiction uh, very realistically. Like it yes. didn't it didn't pander, and at the same time, it it kind of did. It, it was weird the way it handled it, but. I really love the uh, the lead performance, and I just thought it was so good uh, to watch. And uh, man, it was just really an emotional ride. And uh, I didn't know where I was going to go with it for a while. I was like the first twenty minutes or so. I was like, "Wow, I don't know what this film is trying to convey so much." Uh, you could uh, you could argue that really not a, a lot happens, but you can also argue that all kinds of stuff happens in just this brief amount of time and this little character piece and. And I, I was just mesmerized by the film. It's it's highly recommended for me, and I definitely would recommend everybody check it out. And uh, man, just good stuff, good performances all around. I don't know much about the actors in the film, but uh, I will definitely be watching this filmmaker going forward. Oh yeah, and I, you know, as much as it feels documentary at times, the scene is one of my favorite cinematic scenes. Happens in a film in this with um, with him on the bicycle with the girl. Oh yeah, this that's fantastic. The fireworks and stuff. Oh, man, that's oh great. Man. So good. <laughs> so yeah. good. I just love I mean, this the opening itself with the rocks in the pockets and stuff like that. Just this this great simple cinema, uh telling a story without words. I mean, it's just just gorgeous. Gorgeous film. Yeah, that's my number 8. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um my number 8 film. Number my number seven. Yeah. Sexy seven. Number seven. Yeah. It's uh it's a film that kind of it it was weird. It wasn't really being talked about and what I'd heard about it was very mixed. And I, I thought, uh you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna cram it anyway. I have faith in this director. And it's a director who is as prolific as anyone we're gonna talk about on this show. Um however, you and I both are of the same mindset that as great as his early work was, he's at a point in his career now where I think we can say he's a master filmmaker uh, who's really at the height of his craft. Uh, it's a film that he was going to catch a lot of shit for because you and I, amongst cinephiles and amongst the general populace who watch his films, 
well, outside of some people, I guess, um, are really tired of remakes. And when you take on a remake of one of the most revered and respected films in Japanese cinema, and you remake it, um, you have a tall order on your hands. So my film, my number seven, is Takeshi Miike's Harakiri, Death of a Samurai. Nice. Oh, man, this film. You know, I caught it around 1.30 in the morning. And unlike Oslo, which is no detriment against Oslo, I was electrified by this film. I uh, I couldn't stop. I, I was like, I kept I thought to myself, man, William's going to be up 6.45. Braden's going to be jumping on me. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to cry in the morning. <laughs> and I thought, it's worth it. It's worth it for this film. It's... Uh, it's a tremendous, tremendous film um, that really does, I think, does its own, uh, it works on its own merits, and um, the performances are just incredible, and it features one of the best scenes I've seen in cinema in, in many years in regards to symbolism and what a character's, a message a character's sending, a symbolic message uh, involving some bamboo, and I won't say more than that. But yes. <laughs> it gives me chills. Yeah. It gives me chills just to think about it. It's it's an incredible film. Yes, yes, uh, great pick. I can't argue with that one. Cannot. All right, number seven on my end to kind of go with uh, the title of the film. And this might be the most uh, surprising one, maybe on my list um, because. But, I mean, it might pop up on your list later. I don't know. But uh, it was a surprise to me. Let's just put it that way. And uh, that it finished in my top ten was even a surprise. But Because I felt the film was sold short on what it actually really is trying to convey. And it does it in an entertaining and uh, just a very, in my, in, in my opinion, a thought-provoking and emotional way. And that's Seven Psychopaths. Oh, nice. I really like Seven Psychopaths a lot. Um I do not think it's as good as in Bruges, but I do think that the performances in it uh, are really, they really have this emotional impact. Even the craziness of Sam Rockwell, who's really full Sam Rockwell here, but so, so, so good. Uh, uh, I mean, so good. I, I can't, I, he, I mean, even if this film wasn't even seen, he probably should have been nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> he's That's a shame, he's so good in this film. And uh, Christopher Walken, uh, who's had a great year this year. Uh, kind of gotten away a little bit from the walkinisms, but uh, I mean he's very walking in this film. But it's it's a subtle, quiet Christopher Walken, and uh, the scene with him and his wife just uh, hit me like hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, even the scene with him in the tape recorder was just so good, so good. Just him talking into the tape recorder was just you know it's mesmerizing. It's it's amazing when the great actors, uh, when we give them the time to really kind of show what they can do. It's amazing what they can still do. Well, it becomes that thing of not only the actor. We always blame the actor for taking roles on that are just kind of a sleepwalk. Mm-hmm. But we also have to, I think, it's sometimes blame the, the director or the casting director who, who cast them lazily in roles that are just very Walken-esque. In this film, McDonough um, let Walken act again. Yes. Yes. Right. Everyone. Everyone's great in the film. You know, Farrell is great. Um, I'll tell you who, who my favorite my favorite piece in that film outside of maybe walking. And I, I don't really care for this guy too much. He's, and I know it's a bit blasphemous. And I should say I don't care about him. I, I'm not as maybe familiar 
with a lot of his other creative output, specifically musically. But Tom Waits in that film is so good. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's really good, man. <laughs> yeah, I loved him. Man. I loved him in the film as well. But the the little bits. I mean, there, there is a little bit of comedy in here and some things like that. But it's actually, and I don't want to give away too much because I know a lot of people may have not seen it yet. But I'm just telling you guys, if if you haven't seen it, and you just go off the trailer. It's it's really a shame. The trailer is nothing like what the really really what the film is, and uh, the film's uh, you know pretty deep. But I can't really get into it too much without giving a lot away because I, I do feel like the whole back half of the film is almost an entirely different film than the first half of the film. And uh, you know I could go into it and and maybe ruin it, but I don't even want to use a key word that I could. Mm, I know use. I know that that word is <laughs> yeah. with an M. Yeah, it does. Uh, and so I don't even want to use that word. I just want people to check it out. And and I hope you do because uh, the trailer's bad, the poster's bad, but the film is not. <laughs> it is. The poster's so 90s. Oh, it's so fucking awful, man. It, uh, it, it, might, be, it might be the worst poster of the year. Mm-hmm. It's fucking tragic. Just tragic. It very Tragedy! Unders- yeah, it's a very undersold film. Um, just, you know, just check it out. I mean, it is a little bit of my wheelhouse, and I do like McDonough. But... Um, yeah, I just thought the performances were well worth it. And, you know, well, I can't say anything. I just can't give away. I don't want to say anything. So check it out. Let me know what you guys think. I know some people have checked it out since we talked about it, and we've got some new fans of it out there, so that's good. Excellent. Okay, moving right along. Staying in the region. This was a film that, sadly, I don't think you got to cram. Um, it's a film from a, a director who, God, he's, when I hear directors are my age, I think, oh man, what a not a, what a schlub I am, but how could man? How does this guy put something together so masterful? Um, this is from Jong Bin Yoon, who, if we had been doing uh, a show since two thousand five, his debut film, uh, The Unforgiven, which was actually a low budget film he made about kind of um, masculinity and the kind of the code of masculinity in in the Korean army. Um, that film would have been on my list, and this film really elevates things to another level. Uh, it's a film that is loosely based on um, some real events that happened in the, the 80s and 90s when, when Korea was just kind of really ramping up its uh, its economy in the boom. And and it's a film that a lot of people are really saying is, is, is uh, Scorsese-esque in its scope and style. And it's a film that ooh, I'm, I'm desperate to own on Blu-ray once it goes cheaper than 40 bucks. It is Nameless Gangster. Oh, yes, yes. I know I didn't get a chance to see this, but this popped up on a few lists. Oh, man, this film is so good. It's I have a new man crush, and his name is Jung Woo Ha. He is so fucking cool in this film. Nice. He just handles handles his business. And uh, and Choi Min Shik, the return of Choi Min Shik, I mean, you know, he's been in a few things since Old Boy, but ever since the quota happened and he's kind of been in a, an exile, I don't know if it's just for that. I haven't really kept up with his personal life too much but um to see him bite off a really meaty role again was great so this is a korean gangster film that's scorsese-esque but very korean at the same time and i highly recommend you all check it out yeah i can't wait to watch it actually i'm really pumped well i'm pumped for, i can't wait for you to see it man yeah really we can't wait to see it hopefully it'll get a decent release over here and hopefully it'll come out someday <laughs> here mm-hmm. at a good uh, nice cheap price or Maybe hopefully it'll just come out. Period. Maybe it might, I hope it ain't one of those films that three years from now I'll say, "Hey, dude, I finally checked out Nameless Gangster." <laughs> oh, I know, man. And it's and it's called they, and it's called Gangster Number Two or some shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I, you know, and the stupid thing is, 
the, no one else is selling the Blu-ray, but yes, Asia. I don't know if they have like an exclusivity thing, but it's like, come on, man, let's get it out there. Yeah, yeah. The the world of film marketing and distribution is something that either you know we're just so outside baseball that we just don't understand it, or mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and I almost have to believe it's that way because it's like I don't, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It seems like you'd want your stuff out there for people to check out, and it seems like people. It seems like there's too much coveture. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and I don't understand it. And sometimes it's coveture of total garbage, but, you know, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's really good stuff. So, anyway. Okay, my sexy six into the top six already. Here we go. Um, this is a film we reviewed on the show. Um, I had high hopes for it. It paid off. Um, it's the stabbiest film I think I've ever seen. To uh, To... Uh, <laughs> To warn uh, one of our uh, dear listeners and fellow podcasters, uh, Katie from Show Show, uh, yes. this is easily one of the stabbiest movies, if not, like I say, the stabbiest movie. Uh, even outside of slashers, I think this movie has more blades and guts than even a slasher does. But it is not Agreed. a slasher. It is just uh, it's pure action insanity. And uh, that is The Raid. The Raid. Yeah. The raid, the raid is so good. It, it, it's it's unbelievable how good it really is. Um, I know some people had issues with the camera. Some people had issues with kind of the look of the film. Uh, I know some of the criticisms I read of it were that it you know has kind of a dullish kind of palette to it. Um, I think all of that works in its favor. Actually, it almost feels like a post apocalyptic film sometimes. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a pure action movie because it's it's basically it's essentially a video game. Um, but in the best way that a video game can viscerally take you through a storyline, this is the same way. This this is what this does. It just takes you, you know, from level to level of this apartment building, um, and it just gets progressively more insane. And you know, we were talking off the air about some of the issues I had with uh, Argo and uh, and uh, the tense nature that I had some issues with uh, with the filmmaking and stuff. Well, this film. The suspense in this film, I mean, it had me, uh, you know, it had me tightened up, to say the least. You could have put a lump of coal in that ass, made a diamond bright. <laughs> <laughs> and this one was suspenseful big time, man. The sweat dripping, the little moments, the moment in the wall with the knife. It all, it's all kind of silly if you think about it, but as pure cinema, it works great. And uh, I had such a good time with it. And I think the stories, some people have said there's really not a story. I think the story is perfectly I, – actually, what I like about it is that the story is so perfectly simple. Yeah, it needs to be. It, it, it's, it does what it sets out to do. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need to be an overly – it doesn't need to be Magnolia. Yeah, exactly. It's not looking for something else. It's not looking for you to interpret something else. It's saying, here's point A, here's point B. Now come with me on this ride, and I'll take you to point C. And uh, I think it I think it works well. And uh, Gareth Evans is definitely going to be – an action filmmaker to watch. <clears throat> I mean, he really is. I haven't seen Marantel, uh, but this this one film is enough for me to realize that this guy's you know he's a breath of fresh air. So, looking forward Marantel's, to. Some... Go ahead. Marantel's not as good, but it is well worth your time. And of course, all I hear in my head is Marantel. I know every time I say it. <laughs> Even when I said it just now, I heard in my head Marantel. <laughs> Marantel. <laughs> <laughs> fucking goons <laughs> awesome um, that was it yeah that's it that's number six for okay. me for me 
that's from you've seen that film and i sadly i don't think you've seen that film and i didn't do that scene and that song any justice <laughs> but i can tell you kylie minogue does and she puts in a very very moving performance uh in leos caraxes holy motors nice <sighs> this film man it's uh, i had the distinct pleasure of getting to see it on the big screen and it's one I was really, really excited for, and it's sad. I, you know, I, I thought the blue was. We thought the blue was going a bit soon. You're going to get to cram it, but it wasn't. It wasn't to be. But yeah, yeah, this great. Tuesday actually. This Tuesday. Yeah, yeah it's, it's unfortunate, but uh, oh man, this film. It's 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 uh, you know it's so amazing, and I, I don't know that he was nominated because you know the further the older I get and the more I get into cinema, the more I love cinema, the more I realize the Oscars are just a bullshit you know, dog and pony wine and cheese show. Um, it's politics. It's nice to, it's politics. It's nice to see the people that we love get the award, even though to us, the award's a bit bullshit. Mm -hmm. But in saying that a lot of times the people who deserve recognition don't get it. And Denny Levant in this puts in without question, one of the top two or three performances, uh, this year. It's astounding what he does because he doesn't just put in one performance. He puts in about 15 performances. Yeah. And this film, to me, talks about life and film and the connection between the two and the relationship between the two and how life influences film and film is influenced by life. Um, it has a lot of beautiful, quiet moments. It has some astounding left-field moments. Um, I think it's a brilliant film, and uh, I'm, I, I'm going to own it. It's, it's such a tremendous piece of work. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out. I know uh, Kelly just recently checked it out, and he uh, he can't get it out of his head either. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, visually, just looking at the trailer and some of the stills I saw, uh, it looks like it's you know in in my wheelhouse anyway. Um, and I, I just can't wait to check it out because I love films that make you think like that. Oh yeah, and it's uh, and it's got the best use of the Godzilla theme outside of Godzilla. <laughs> or maybe even including Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some <laughs> somebody somewhere is going to be upset with that comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. I wish I could add more to add to it, but I have nothing to say. But I will look at it when it comes out. Hopefully this week. Hopefully this week. I got a couple more I couldn't fit in this uh, in the Crama Jam that just came in this past weekend, and uh, they're both animated films, but they were both animated films you were a big fan of this year, so nice. horror-tinged animated films. Um, so I'm going to check those out later this week, but anyway, I'm also looking forward to uh, just relaxing and, <laughs> and not saying, yeah. I got to watch this, I got to watch that, I got to watch this. <laughs> yeah, what do I have still left to watch? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to get to this, how am I going to fit it in? Yeah. <laughs> oh... Yeah, especially on top of the fact that like last night I think I got three hours of sleep and the day before I got four. So I'm really kicking ass this weekend, let me tell you. I thought yeah, week I think uh, I, I thought weekends were supposed to be the relaxing time and I was wrong. Well, yeah, I got I got about twenty minutes more than you today and I got yeah, about the same the night before, so I'm with you, man. <laughs> so <Yep>. like, <laughs> talk about a dog and pony show. Uh, All right. So my number five film of twenty twelve. It's a film I did see late in the cycle, 
But uh, it's a film that I highly champion. It's uh, also in my wheelhouse. Uh, we kind of talked about some of the things that I really enjoy, which is it's crazy. If I look at my top ten, I do not have a documentary in there. Insane for me. Insane for me. Because uh, you know where my I know what <laughs> I heard you take a breath. Uh, but if, if you know me, you know that I watch a lot of documentary films, and and if you've been listening to the show, you know I watch a lot of documentary films, and, and there's still a lot of documentary films in my list, just not in my top ten, which is weird. When I got done with it, I was like, wow, that's fucked up. But because uh, I thought one would be in there for sure, or maybe two. Um, but this one uh, is a independent film, small film, uh, simple film. A uh, small story stars uh, an actress who I don't think has ever gotten much credit in her career. I know uh, where you're going with this, and I agree. And um, and also an actor who I think is thankfully gets a lot of credit, and that's uh, Michael Shannon. But this film is called Return. And I, I love this film quite a bit. Uh, Linda Cardellini, anyway, I think I, I've always been attracted to her as far as I think she's a gorgeous lady. Um, especially when she dresses up like Thelma. <laughs> and you and me both, brother. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one, man. Oh, those Scooby-Doo films, they'll be on, and I hate this. I hate Scooby-Doo. I, I mean, I don't want, well, let me rephrase that. I love Scooby-Doo, the actual yes. cartoon of Scooby-Doo. It's pivotal yes. in my life uh, growing up. Me too. The film, the, and I don't know about the, any of the other films. I only saw the first film. Is ridiculous in the way that it's the worst of the worst when it comes to what Hollywood can do with the property. Uh, but yeah, Linda Cardellini. <laughs> oh man, the thoughts of man, Thelma. I, I want her to whisper Jenkins in my ear all night. <laughs> but in this Ooh. film, she plays a uh, returning vet from uh, the war or from Afghanistan. I, I, I wasn't really clear which. I, th- I would guess it's more recent stuff, so I would guess Afghanistan or Iraq or something. And uh, she's a guard, National Guard, I believe. And she comes back and stuff. And, and, you know, like a lot of these people that come back, she has trouble, you know, readapting herself with society. And uh, it, it's just a really great performance from her uh, with some tough decisions made. Uh, some ignorant decisions made some, some just, just, I don't know. I felt it was pretty real and, uh, you know, it, it's sad. Some of the stuff that takes place in the film, but at the same time, it, it just feels like small town America, that this is the kind of stuff that does take place. And, uh, it's a very introspective film. It's basically a character study and stuff, but, uh, I know, I know fake Shimpy. I know he's a big fan. Um, but it's, uh, it, it, it really kind of got to me and, um, uh, it has a performance from, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the A one steak commercials with the guy that used to have the A one steak? Uh, you might not. You might. It might be. Well, like we, a have, we have HP sauce <laughs> oh, from right, the motherland right. from England, so right. I don't know. Uh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. I saw that sadly. Well, the uh, there, there was in the seventies. There was these A one commercials, and the guy that plays her boss in that, he was in all these A one commercials. <laughs> On the way, cool. <laughs> and it was great to see him in this. Uh, you know, I was like, wow, look at this guy. He's still he's still working. Uh, <laughs> so it was pretty interesting, but no, I, I liked all the performances in this film. The f- performances felt real. I don't feel like anybody overacted. Nothing. I think that and Michael Shannon again, he was really really good in the film. And it's a different right. Michael Shannon than you, than you're used to. If you guys are just used to seeing him as the heavy, um, this is him as just a, a normal Joe. And uh, I think he, I think he carries that really well. This you know this dude, this plumbing dude that gets excited about plumbing work. I mean, I, I like that simple stuff because I don't think Hollywood, you know, takes the time to show characters get excited about 
the mundane stuff that the ninety nine percent of us have to do every day. You know, not all of us get to go shopping all the time. Yeah. So yeah, return. Check it out. It's an independent film, a small little film, but highly recommended. Very well acted, and I don't know how the Academy overlooked that one either. But hey, it's politics. Oh man, it's uh, that's the one film that really got away from me at the end. I had, I had, an, I, I had eight or nine films to try to cram in two days that I was working. Yeah, and I just, I somehow got all of them in. That was the last one I tried to get in. I couldn't get in. I'm going to get to it in the next week or two. Shampy baby, I'm sorry. Uh, I wish I could have talked about it because I, I echo your sentiments. I love Carlini. Everything she's done, I've loved. I think she. Why? Why isn't she? bigger um i have no she's idea a good actress and, and, uh, and she's attractive too so i don't understand yeah. beautiful and talented i mean how does that not equate but that's hollywood sadly yeah, it is um you know it's it's unfortunate um and shannon i mean there you go one of the greatest actors of our time yep. um to transition to another film that stars a beautiful and talented woman uh, a film that i really didn't have hopes for and frankly i had told you you know, man, I might or might not even cram this thing. You know, this last, her last film, This, in fact, this is one of two films on my list directed by a woman. I don't know you know where I'm going with this. Um, I was just like, man, I don't want to see, I don't really care if I see this. I'm burned out on this kind of stuff. I don't want to see it. Um, but this revolves around some events that ironically happened. I was on vacation in Cuba with my family. Um, <laughs> and it stars maybe the actress making the best decisions right now as well as a couple Aussies who I think have proven that um, rugged throwback men in films are alive and well. That's Jessica Chastain, Joel Edgerton, and Jason Clark in the Catherine Bigelow film Zero Dark Thirty. Nice, nice. Oh, man, this film was so incredible. I just, uh, you know, it, like I said, it just, I, was, I just didn't want to hear about it anymore. I, I don't want to hear about it. We hear about it all the time, and I just I felt burned out, but... Um, you know, because Hurt Locker was like a seven for me. I just didn't get the fuss. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, this film is really an exceptional film. And if you've been put off because of the subject matter, I, I please don't just stop with that inclination and, and watch the film because it's, it's such a good film. And this film could have been, you know, well, it's my number four film of the year. And we see a lot of films in a year. And, and this film really is, uh, Wow, it's it's a great film, and and this one is snubbed by the fucking Oscars. Like, how ridiculous are you? I mean, they, I don't think yeah. they got very many nominations. It's it's like it's absurd. This is one of you know easily, no matter which way you cut the pie, you know, one of a, a handful, maybe at the most in anyone's eyes, best American films of the year. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it was really good. I cannot mm. argue that. And this goes to show, I think, more than anything, politics at play. Yeah. In snubbing it, which is unfortunate, but oh, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I agree. What are you gonna do? All right, so my number four is easily the most entertaining film I saw this year. I don't think it's the uh, the best film. Obviously, it's not number one. I don't, not for me, and I don't think even that. Most will think it's the best. Well, no, I'll take that back. A lot of people have put it on their list, so I guess a lot of people do think it's one of the best films of the year. But I had more fun with this film than I had with just about any other film. Now, when I say fun, I mean just I laughed. I had a great time. And this director always does this for me. Uh, he, he's been doing it now for, I don't know, 20 years. And he continues to do it. 
He continues to do it every year. And this one, to be fair, this one really plays on all of my weaknesses in cinema. The, the things that I really fall for, camaraderie between a couple guys, um, the Western motif, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Prince powder blue suits, the little boy blue suits. These are all weaknesses of mine. You know, I wear that suit weekly on the weekends You know, when I take my son out to the park. I get a lot yeah. of strange looks, but hey, it's a puffy shirt. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> now, this film is Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained. Um, this film just, I mean, I think if you know me and if you're, you know, if you've been talking to me for any given amount of time, I think if you saw this film, you'd probably even, I'd probably even cross your mind because it's, it's almost like, it's almost like this weird fever dream of things that I would probably put in a Western all kind of thrown together. Uh, Tarantino did some interesting things with it. Uh, it's weird that now after all this time we get probably his most violent film to date um as far as gore goes i mean this this film is is ultra violent i would say um uh the the implied violence you know of some of his other of his other work has always been there and he's he's never been one to shy away from violence in films um but this one even i was kind of stunned at how ridiculous uh, to the point of you know i i just i wasn't expecting it let's put it that way um i you know i do have issues with the film some, but strictly entertainment. I, I just had a great time with it, and you know, I just don't know how much longer Tarantino can do this for me. Uh, I know I sound like a gigantic fanboy, but it's just the reality is is that you know, his films speak to me on some level that I I can't explain in words. Um, from the opening shots to the the very end, it just uh, spoke to me. And of course, if you've been listening to this show a long time. Uh, the end of it probably gave you well. It gave me a little bit of a chill just because of the music that they decided to use. <laughs> oh yeah, because it made me feel good. It made me feel like yes, that was justified using that all those years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one that loves that little piece. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just uh, you know, it's 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 an interesting film. It's a very interesting film. I, I could talk at it at length, but uh, you know, I don't I don't want to go talk about it. I mean, it's going to be talked about a lot anyway because it's Tarantino and. Blah blah blah, but uh, yeah, and I think I liked it more than you did. Of course, I don't know. We still got three films to go, but uh, and you've been Koi Roy all year, so I don't even have any idea what the fuck your next three are. Uh, oh so, no, no, I, no, no, I don't. No, I don't. I really don't. I think I know what one might be, but uh, not number one, but one of the three. But we'll see. We shall see. Um, but uh, yeah, Django and Chain, great cameo performances. And let me add, uh, this is something I didn't talk about. Uh, one of the cameo performances nobody talks about that I forgot to mention when we talked about originally when we both had seen it back in December or beginning of the year, whenever it was. Uh, the c- character who plays Snowy, the guy who plays Snowy, the kind of sheriff when the Django and oh yeah, and uh, a lot of people don't know that that's Lee Horsley. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just awesome to see Lee Horsley in a movie again. I'm sitting there thinking, Tarantino, dude, make a Western with just Lee Horsley, man. Yeah. Or Matt sure, Houston, man. you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sword and the Sorcerer, let's get it going. But no, just a uh, great great film and uh, great fun. I just, I had a blast with it. So, Django Unchained, number four. Very nice. My number three is a film that... Um, this is it, buddy. This is the gold, silver, and bronze of it. your top ten. <laughs> yeah, this is a creme de la creme de la creme. Yes. <laughs> um, it's a film that I 
wanted so desperately to see a TIFF last year, and its Midnight Madness screening was a Thursday night. I think it was the opening film for Midnight Madness last year. But I work, you know, 14-hour shifts, 8 to 10, Thursday to Sunday. So for me to be out till 3 in the morning, you know, you've done the Midnight Madness thing. You don't get home till ridiculously late, till the wee hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just couldn't do it and then get up two or three hours later. I'm not a young man anymore in some respects. And I just couldn't do it. And I was heartbroken. And then the film leaked. And I had every chance to see it. I thought, you know what? I'm going to buy this film. I love the film. I, I don't want that. I want to just bootleg it. And you know, I want to support this film because if I don't support this film, um, I'm part of the problem. And I, or you, if it hadn't have been me, it would have been you picked this film to cover on the show. And it's a film you've already talked about. It's uh, Gareth Evans masterpiece. And in my opinion, the best action film at least of the past 20 to 30 years, if not all time. Uh, at least, you know, it, it's, and as some people are going to really get their back up over that because the Hong Kong stuff in the 80s and, you know, some and the American stuff in the 80s, but I'm sorry, this, to me, elevates everything that those films do um, to insane heights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this The stunt work, the cinematography involving the action, um the work put in by Iko Uwe, Joe Tislim, Yayan Ruan, uh, everyone in the film. There, there are things in this film from an action standpoint you've never seen before, and if you see them now, it's because of this film. Um, it's it's just a pure action film that has no pretense to be anything else, no romantic subplots, no buddy comedy, odd couple bullshit. It is an action film, pure and true. Uh, I love it so much. So yeah, that's uh, my number three. And like I said, a lot of people said it was uh, kind of ugly and stuff. I think, actually think, think it's a gorgeous movie. I, mean, I do too, because it's supposed to be muddy and and kind of blasted out concrete and stuff. It's very evocative of, of the, the setting and the element for the people and, and the surroundings. Yeah, I think it was gorgeous. So I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my number three, the bronze of my gold, so to speak. Yeah. The dripping of my Shaka Khan butthole. <laughs> the- <laughs> yes. That should be a gold. <laughs> but this is just a dripping. We'll get to the gold yeah, soon. Good, good point, good point. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, number three. Okay, so I saw this film... Um, I had hopes for it because I do like the director. Um, didn't like the film I saw as before his last film as much as you did, but still liked it quite a bit. Love his aesthetic quite a bit. Um, but all I could say after I saw it was bravo because uh, really it just left my jaw on the floor with what he did. Um, that I agree with you what you said uh, earlier because you've already talked about this film. Uh, that this film has been panned as much as it has just kind of blows my fucking mind. Um, because this is noir in a way at its best. This is what it's all about when it comes to the, uh, the seediness of humanity is such a tricky thing. And so many people do it, but so many, so, so, so many people do it wrong because it's easy. They revel in, in it, right? Yeah, they revel yeah. in it. And- it's, it's easy to do. It's easy to say, you know, I can make a bad guy in a movie. All I gotta do is put a dude in a film 
maybe put some kids around, have him shoot a kid, and then boom, I got a bad guy. Or you know, have him rape somebody's wife, boom, I got a bad guy. But this film, <laughs> this film does. It's not that the, the well, one character is definitely bad, but it's not that the, the it's not bad people as much as broken people, people that are just confused and broken. And anyway, it's Lee Daniels, uh, the Paperboy. Yeah. Uh, this film hit me like a ton of bricks. I seriously believe it, it was the most overlooked film of the year. Um, it's so sad that it's getting pan. I just I don't understand it. I, I don't I don't understand it at all. I don't. Everybody is good in this film. There's not a bad mm-hmm. performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there are great twists to the story. Uh, one twist that I really loved that, that came out of nowhere for me was a scene involving uh, Zac Efron and the African American actor in the office. When some mm-hmm. realities come to light about the African American, that one was I was like, whoa, that's that was a that was a nice touch, and yeah. uh, you know Matthew McConaughey is great in this film. He had a great year this year. Uh, it didn't make my list, but definitely check him out in Bernie as well. Um, and of course, we all know him in Killer Joe. He's had a great year, and I expect him to have Magic another Mike. Good, yeah, yeah, Magic Mike, which I didn't get to see, but he'll have. Nor, uh, nor did I. Suddenly, yeah. I expect he'll have a great year this year as well. He just seems to be on a roll with the the stuff he's picking right now. So, um, and of course, I have high hopes for Mud. So, yeah. Uh, but the, really, the standout in this film is uh, Zach Efron, and I agree with Will. Yes. Uh, I did not expect to like. I mean, I've never thought Zac Efron was a bad actor. I don't. I mean, I, I know he's a pretty boy. I know how that works. I've been watching movies long enough to get that. But yeah. just because actors are good looking doesn't mean they're bad actors. Sometimes you know that gets them in the door and stuff. But Zac Efron, I believe, in this film shows that he's going to have a future as something outside of the teen heartthrob that he once was. And uh, I expect uh, some good things from him. I really do. I expect uh, good things from him going forward. I expect he will be. That he even picked this film, considering his fan base, pretty impressive. I agree, and and I, I man, I've I told people, I, you know, since Charlie St. Cloud, don't sleep on the Efron man. Yeah, he he's he's like a, a more versatile, risk taking Tom Cruise in some ways. Yeah, no, he so. that, that's a lot of who he reminds me of. He reminds me sometimes of those Brad Pack actors, but a lot of those guys turned into really good actors. And, uh, you know, there is a difference between movie star and actors, and he's got movie star looks, no doubt about that. But I do believe that this performance is – its it was one of the best performances of the year for me, his performance in this film. Along, Well, there's so many people that are good in this film. Macy Gray, everybody in this film is so good. But I just really believe that, you know, he, he was overlooked completely. I mean, he really was, so – now we need a a cougar a cougar film with Linda Cardellini who's seducing Zac Efron and I'll be down with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Paperboy. Definitely check out the Paperboy. I will own it. I haven't bought it yet, but I will own this puppy on blue. Uh, just great, great, great stuff. I, and I guarantee you, in ten years, it'll be talked about in a higher light than it is now. Hundred percent, man. One hundred percent. Okay, nice. Um, Here we go. We're getting down to it. Yeah, now I'm really this. My number one and two, I really wrestled with more than anything else in my list. I really wrestled with it to the point where even as I'm talking about it now, I'm like, do I change it? I'm pretty sure. I think I, I know what one of these is. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, guess, but I think I know what one of them is. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, you, I'm pretty sure you know what one of mine is too. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um. 
uh, do I want to say it now or save this for number one? See, that's how right even to right now I'm I'm torn about. Okay. Um, okay, I, I, this could change tomorrow. Let me preface it by saying that this is a film again that uh, I wanted to see. I think it was at TIFF last year, and. Um, it was very, very highly anticipated for me because this is a director who I consider to be among the best directors in the world, uh, hands down. And um, when I heard he was going to be making this film, and he was going to be making a film in English, which isn't his first language, and he was going to be making a film with Judd Hirsch and Francis McDormand and David Byrne, Eve Hewson, and Sean Penn playing Robert Smith from The Cure. <laughs> um, he was going to be making a film in America, doing, in English. Doing a little bit of an Abel Ferrar impersonation as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he was going to make a film that revolved around revenge and revolved around landscapes and humanity. Uh, he was going to make a film based on, well, at least in title, a Talking Heads song, which is uh, featured in the film. This must be the place. Nice. Paolo Sorrentino. Nice. Let me just say, for the record, we talked about films not getting released. This thing, this is a great example of the tragedy of not getting films out. We, oh, me and you me and you have been talking about this film off and on now for, it feels like two years. I know. It really does. It really, really does. And I know it's got a Region B blue. What a shame, man. I mean, you'd think at least with Sean Penn and McDormand in the film, it would garner something in the way of a release, even on a, a, a Blu-ray. But what a tragedy. This film, to me, Sorrentino does for American landscapes and America what Vim Vendors did, you know, almost 30 years prior with Paris, Texas. Um, he understands Americana and America, and it, it, he looks at it with a reverence, and it is as just enough of an outsider to to frame it in a way that doesn't seem tired or obvious. Yeah, um, it's a beautiful film. The the last scene in a shack um, on the ice with with Sean Penn's character and someone else who I won't give away is is just a chilling, beautiful scene. And as much as any film has talked about revenge and what that means and and how you come to that and is it worth it but not in a heavy-handed obvious way it's this film uh, i really i can't recommend enough that everyone sees this film i love i love this film more than any film on my list this year i oh, can nice. say that nice nice but i just felt like my number one i i couldn't i couldn't give it to this over that so okay uh, but please everyone and i know davy alcox a big fan too man it was his number one you know, and part of me just for like like agenda reasons, like I got to make this number one, so it's like even more people might might give it a chance. But please, everyone, see this film; it's a beautiful film. I love it with all my heart. Nice, nice. All right. So, my number two. Ooh. I know it's going to be two or one if it's what I'm thinking here, man. <laughs> yes. All right, so my number two is uh, a film that uh, I may have played Coy, may, may have played two Coy Roy with, for some people. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, this uh, this film it's a little film about a uh, relationship, um, father son, brother brother, 
Uh, you name it. It can go either way, shape or form. Um, it's a deep film. Uh, I had some issues with it uh, in this filmmaker's filmography. I don't feel like it's his greatest work, but I do feel like it's still more powerful than most of the films I saw this year. Um, but that is Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Ooh, you were so fucking coy, man. I had no idea. No idea. Man, I thought this wasn't even going to make your fucking list, the way you were talking about this thing. Yeah. This film really spoke to me in a lot of ways. Um, you know, some of the, the, the problems that the Joaquin Phoenix character uh, has. Um, this amazing the way uh, Phoenix brings it to, to light in the, in the film. Uh, I love this little thing he does in the film where he kind of talks out of the side of his mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. he's always kind of done that, but I mean, he really pushes it in this almost like he has a stroke or something. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, maybe for me, uh, that's the, maybe the performance of the year in some way. It's, it's a charismatic performance powerhouse. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing performance. And what's great about Anderson is this film is visually, it's very impressive. It is a gorgeous film, but I love directors who work with actors because even though we can shoot landscapes, we can shoot buildings, we can build stuff. Like Prometheus was one of the best-looking films I saw all year because uh, it was gorgeous. It just looked great. Um, but when it comes down to it, what it really, really, what really speaks to me is acting and directing working together. And in this case, I was just kind of blown away. I really was. I just thought these two, you know, I love these two characters. I really did, and. I could have spent three more hours with them. I really could have. Uh, just them working things out and uh, the kind of openness of the Hoffman character, the kind of closed-off nature of the Phoenix character, how these two collide with each other. Just just brilliant stuff. Like I said, I do have issues with the film in some ways about the overall thesis of the thing. But when it comes down to it, there's very few films I've seen this year that made me think as much or made me appreciate the craft of acting and, and directing as much as the master and uh, bravo to Paul Thomas Anderson who takes a film. Uh, this, this is a truly seventies type film. This is old school filmmaking. Uh, this is all about performances. Uh, the female characters in this film, I think suffer a little bit because of the powerhouse of the male characters, the, the way they're just so much in front, but you know, he never really, he never really tries to shoehorn them in too much. So, you know, the Amy Adams, the performance, and uh, even Laura Dern, who's really good in the film. Uh, I don't know, man. I just It really spoke to me in a lot of ways. Um, but I had to play Coy Roy with that one uh, a little bit with everybody because I, I just felt like everybody thought I would love it. So Because it is the type of kind of film I love. Uh, you know, very performance-driven, very subtle, very quiet. Because I don't think it's a loud film, and I don't think it's a show-off film either. There's some loud p- moments. The great scene in the prison cells, or not the prison cells, well, jail cells, I guess, not prison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, between Hoffman and uh, Phoenix. You could call it a show-off thing, but I feel like it's warranted anger. It's organic to the film. Yeah. And I felt like a lot of the performances in the film were organic. And then the greatness of the uh, them rolling around on the yard and kind of wrestling like a like a couple of dudes who need to be doing more than just, you know, hanging out. Uh, there's just a lot going on here. And I agree with you when you said, I guess, last week or the week before, that there's a lot of layers 
of of what what really taken place in this relationship. And uh, and I also love how the film closes. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson can close a film like nobody, man. He really knows how to close a film. He really does. I think the last line of the film, I think I can give it away without saying anything, is uh, it slipped out. Can you put it back in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only Paul Thomas Anderson has the guts to put that in. It's like a last line of a film. <laughs> so bravo to Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing, good sir, because you are a, a vanguard for American cinema. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. So right. this is it, right? This yep. is the big one. As Huey Lewis it said, is. I'm going to ask you, if the, is this is it? <laughs> uh, well, I will let you know. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, boy, oh, boy, this film, you and I do a show that covers film from all around the world. Yep. And, because we love film from all around the world. We love hearing voices and seeing things through the eyes of other filmmakers and, and people involved in the creative process. And, you know, it, sometimes it almost seems like we, we look at American film as a little bit disparaging and we lament the good old days, the seventies and where's American film gone? And, you know, why isn't it here anymore? And why are people making films in America that, that need to be made as much as, as other parts of Europe? And then why aren't they as challenging as the European films? And, um, there is a filmmaker, alive and well in America, who's making films as good as anyone in the world. Um, he has surpassed, in my eyes, anyone else who's making film in America uh, of his generation. Um, it's a film that I I, uh, I I was wrestling with making it one or two, and either way, I was high up my list. But I couldn't. I just couldn't take this film out of my number one spot, no matter how I tried. Um, because I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a, it's his, it's a dense film, and it's a film you just talked about. It is Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. This film. Uh, I just find myself thinking about it and thinking about moments in the film, and, and not just the Amy Adams handjob scene. It's, uh, yeah, that is, it, a good, it, that is a good moment. Yeah, he needed a soap dish to hold on to there, man. Yeah, I, I tell you what, yeah. if I had a dream, uh, if he, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind getting jerked off by a pregnant Amy Adams. Is that, yeah. is that, is that perverted? <laughs> That's a sound bite waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've said before. I think I've told you before. I have a thing for her because, uh, like, I think with the fighter, I was like really, really like she really turned me on in that film. Yeah, she's another actress alongside Chastain, two of the best actors in the world, and they're both. Redheads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And actually, Amy Adams. Amy Adams or Jessica Chastain has a hilarious piece on Zach Galifianakis. It's between two ferns. Um, <laughs> it's the Oscar edition where he asks Christoph Waltz, "Do you ever wish your name was Christoph Breakdance?" <laughs> and uh, there's but there's a great bit with Amy Adams. Where she says, "You know what I was called in high school?" And he says something like. Um, uh, I, I don't want to reveal it, but it's it's very good. Check it out. It's the Oscar edition of Between Two Ferns of the Galifianakis, who actually reminds me of Young Cool Cat in some ways, I should say. Yeah, interesting. But, uh, interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But uh, I digress. The Master, um, what a film. I, I, I still, like I said, it's such an astounding piece of work that I think it's going to reveal itself a lot more on multiple viewings. You know, we talk about this and films reward themselves on multiple viewings. This is that kind of film. I mean, you can look at it, like you said, in the way you did, which I think is spot on. But the, the, the great thing about great film is that you can see the little things and even the bigger picture things and the things that come to you immediately. 
um, like some of the other stuff in this film. So, you know, what threw you off, what threw me off your scent, off your trail was when you go, mm, I don't know if it's going to make your top 30 when I, when I checked into it on Miso. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this guy didn't like it. What the fuck's going on? Because <laughs> I even said, I even said to Aaron the other night, he's like, I was like, man, I don't think Sammy fucking liked the master that much, man. I don't know why. It's so strange. But uh, yeah, and you and it's ironic because you and I just talked the other day how have we ever had a film that was the same, like in the same spot? And it was close this year, one yeah. and two, man. Yeah, yeah. And but in saying that, I think I do know your number one now, which yes. is a film you couldn't help but not be coy about. Yes, yes, yeah. Sadly. Uh, there's no That's way. Okay. I, yeah, I know. I, I I can't. I couldn't hide my love for my number one. So, do you got anything else you want? Yeah. Do you got anything? No, I don't want to say anything. Okay. Uh, no, but I, I just want to hear what I want to hear you expand now <laughs> on uh, what this is. Okay. So my number one of the year, uh, another film that came late in the cycle, a film that I love the original, but so I didn't. I shouldn't say but. I should say I didn't expect much from this a remake of a film. That I already had a deep, deep appreciation for. Um, samurai cinema is, uh, outside of westerns and possibly action cinema in some ways, uh, my favorite genre of cinema. Uh, for some, it can be dry. I totally understand that. But my sensibilities tend to lean toward that anyway. I like very quiet. Uh, I don't always love, even though I just said I love action cinema, but I don't always love loud craziness. Um, and I think samurai cinema does something that I haven't even said the title, but everybody already knows what it is. I think it does something that uh, that a lot of other cinema can't do, and that's uh, convey emotion through through subtlety. This film, I mean, you talked about this off the air. Uh, Paul talked about this in his voicemail. Almost everybody talked about it in some way, shape, or form. But the four, first 40 minutes of this film are easily the best 40 minutes of any film of, the, of this year. Stuff, man. And uh, the rest of the film is not quite as good as that, but it's still incredibly impactful stuff. I was crying. Uh, oh, yeah. I was uh, caught up in it. Uh, I just, and then once, you know, some things started to happen, I was all caught up in that. The reveal of something that, uh, you know, it's just, uh, this, it just blew me away. And then, not, to, and then, and on top of all that, the, uh, my one sentence I had when I was telling people about the thing is, and then the snow starts, and that yeah. little and that little fucking touch of the snow starting was you know Mike's way of saying, "Fuck yeah, check this out." You know, I mean it. It is fucking. It gives me chills talking about it now. Anyway, my number one film is Howard Carey, Death of a Samurai, Takashi Mike's remake of a classic film, and. He's done this with two now, and um, I got to say, I prefer this one over Thirteen Assassins. I love Thirteen Assassins, I do, but uh, this film, it, emotionally, it just really speaks to me uh, about a code of honor and what you believe in and what you stand for. And uh, I remember, I can't remember who it was. Was it Loaf or was it somebody else? Or maybe it was that. Maybe it was Aaron. I can't remember. Somebody asked me, you know, why they were looking at this. Uh, Somebody asked on the Facebook, on the, you know, on the Facebook. Listen, I sound like an old man now. Somebody asked me on the Facebook, you know. Old Bill Cosby there. Um, <laughs> thinking about Shaka Khan's butthole again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's better than Cosby. <laughs> Ooh. Or better than Cosby's butthole. That, oh. that picture that was going around a few weeks ago. Ooh. 
Let's not talk about that. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's see here. Yeah, the, the there's the little moments. The one, the one thing I love about Samurais is the the code. Okay, because it's a code. It's not a code that I live by. It's not like I sit around cross-legged with a sword and in my bedroom all day. Uh, it's not like that. It's it's just that I believe in your word. You 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 put your word out there. You say what you're going to do. You do it. You own up to that. You fess up. You you stay honest to what you believe, regardless if it's wrong or it's right. You stay honest to it because that's what you believe. That's who you are. That's what you are. The lead yep. character in this stays true to what he believes. Struggles with it at times, but stays true to what he believes. And yeah, for a, better or worse. Yeah, and a younger generation, through desperation, does not. There is so much going on in this film. Oh uh, man, there is so much going on in this film. It demystifies, much like the original, mm-hmm. the the glamour of the samurai film and its conventions, it is an indictment and criticism of modern and Japanese culture in general. Yes. Um, there's so much going on in this film. And to take a lead that was a kabuki actor, he wasn't even like a, a, a proper film actor. What a performance. I know. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, from everyone. Yeah. The sound design in this film, especially during that opening 40 minutes. Oh, my God. I know. The the Mike has has turned into the filmmaker that he is. Now he still makes a lot of films. I mean, I think he's got like four or five coming out this year. But oh, yeah. but uh that he's turned into this filmmaker he has, that we've kind of watched him grow uh in front of the camera or behind the camera, but in front of our eyes, you know, that we've watched him develop into this filmmaker. I honestly believe he's one of the best filmmakers working. I really, really honestly believe that. Agreed. He's made some Agreed. truly trashy, insane cinema in his life. But he is almost like the culmination of what we talk about on the show, how anything can be great cinema. I mean, he can take, you know, somebody smashing a chihuahua or somebody, you know. Bathing in a pile, a kiddie pool of vomit or yeah. feces. Yeah, or lactating. He, he takes the yeah. darkest and most disturbing pieces of our, of our culture and our world and and he makes what he makes with that, but then he also takes the subtlety and the beauty and the simplicity of humanity, the things that drive us, love, uh, vengeance sometimes, anger, honor. honor. He takes these things, and he can turn them into this great, breathtaking cinema. There's been two great moments in cinema over the last two or three years that I can, out of like 20 great moments in cinema over the last 20 years, I would say, Mike owns two of them, and one of them being the the scene in Thirteen Assassins where the guy holds up the sign. Oh man, I got chills right now. <laughs> and then in this one as well, with the reveal of something in the back half. Oh boy! So simple, and yet so effective. It's old school filmmaking. Yes. It's just like the master in a lot of ways. This is very much a a seventies type film. This is very dialogue driven, uh, and it's very much story driven and. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about Harakiri, Death of a Samurai. It's my number one film of 2012. It blew me out of the fucking water. And uh, I, I just tip my hat to Takeshi Miike. I mean, just, wow. Great film. Yeah, and, yeah, what can I say? I, I, we could talk about that film all day. It, and I, I do agree. It is, it is definitely, as much as we love 13 Assassins, it's definitely a better film. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, as we said, and we always say, you know, we 
we get amazed. I think I pared down my list of 30 from 50 films I had in my list that I'd, I usually yeah, just put like a check mark next to them saying, oh, this one, this one I'll be talking about at the end of the year. This one I'll be talking about at the end of the year. And man, then I had to start to make the cuts. Ooh, it was brutal. It got nasty. It got nasty. Deep cuts, man. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it got you're nasty. fighting to keep films heads above water and they just can't stay above water. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> All right, so that is our top tens of 2012. We're going to take a break. We got an extensive break here because we got everybody's top ten list, top thirty list, top fifteen list, whatever anybody could send in. Uh, we're not going to address those personally, guys, just due to lack of time because uh, we really don't have much time. Literally, we're usually done in like five minutes, just to be honest, and not Coy Roy on the air. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we still got to go through our eleven through thirties. So we're going to take, and we got to address these uh, top thirty emails too. So we're going to go through those. We might not go into detail about those as much. We might just kind of go through the list, if you guys don't mind, just because strictly time and everything else. So, And we don't want to bump your lists from the Top 30 show to adjust them. We'd rather you at least get them into the, yeah. the year-end sort of show. So. Yeah. But we do read everything, as you guys know, and we do and listen to everything. And we do appreciate everyone sending in their lists and playing along. Yes, very much so. So we'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side and get through our 11 to 30s. We'll be back right after this. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, I must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. Academy. So, number 30, Ed Hunter is the 
Norwegian film. I'm a, it's based on a Joel Nesbold novel. I'm actually a big fan of his work. I've got, say, at least three quarters of his books, most, most of them being based on a detective called Harry Holler. Um, this isn't one based on um, the Harry Holler series of books, but nonetheless, it's a great film, and I'd like to see more of Joe Nesbold's writing put to cinema, because he's one of the finest crime writers around. The next one, number 29, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I caught this the other day, and it's one of them. Normally, it wouldn't make the top 30, but it was a film that me and Miriam enjoyed together. And I had a little smile on my face at the end of it. I thought it was a nice, cute little comedy. I can't remember the lad's name in the lead role, but I think he's um, one to watch out for in the future. Number 28, Zero Dark Thirty. Number 27, Silver Lining Book. Number 26, Hero Dreams of Susha. This is something that I had, I had absolutely, well, no, no interest in the subject matter whatsoever, but... It was a beautifully made documentary and the dedication to his craft was outstanding and that's something I really appreciate, so it spoke to me. Number 25, Marley. Number 24, Lawless. This film took a lot of criticism. And me, I'm a big Ill Cult fan and I'm a massive Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds fan and Nick Cave fan in general. I love these books he has, Saw the Angel and the Death of Bunny. He's, um, he wrote the screenplay to this. He wrote the screenplay to The Proposition as well. And, one for a film called Ghosts of the Civil Dead. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if not, check that out. So that was also that was Ilcolt's first film. So yeah, another solid Ilcolt film. He can do no wrong in my eyes. Not quite top thirty material or as good as anything he's done before, but still a very solid film. Number twenty three, The Hunter, um, with Willem Dafoe. Best use of a Bruce Springsteen song in film ever. Number 22, Safety Not Guaranteed. Again, another one I watched with Miriam that we both really enjoyed together. And Mark Duplass' performance was phenomenal. It was, and it was, it was different, it was original, so I really enjoyed it. Number 21, Oswald, 31st or 31 August. Absolutely beautiful the way they dealt with the subject matter of depression. Um, I'd recommend it for anybody to see. Number 20, Dread. Wasn't expecting much from this, but blew me away. Number 19, and if I'm not mistaken, this is me only animated film on the list, is Paranorman. Um, took Mike to the cinema to watch this, and um, Miriam as well. We had a blast as a fan, wet, and really, really, um, it's little... <sighs> Nods to horror films of the past, but it really well made. I haven't mean, stop motion animation, so yeah. Number 18, West of Memphis. Um, now, I watched all four movies based on the West Memphis 3 this year, all in the space of four days, this being the last one. Um, such a good documentary, um, and the injustice served to these boys. Well, I say boys are older than me, but. Um, when they were got sent down, they were boys. is absolutely appalling. It actually makes me angry thinking about it that this can happen. So I won't delve into that too much. Number seventeen to take this waltz. Number sixteen, the paper boy. 
probably the sleaziest movie I watched this year. Number 15, Argo. Now, this will be a lot higher on a lot of people's list, but the reason it's only at 15 for me is, don't get me wrong, it's an absolutely brilliant film and that's why it's in the top 30, but because I knew the ending, everybody knew the ending and it turned out well, that kind of took something away from the viewing of it, but still loved it. Number 14, Killing Them Softly. Again, another one I don't understand the criticism of. Brad Pitt's amazing in it. Gandolfini was amazing in it. Um, number 13, something made in Will's country. Monsieur Lazar. Number 12, End of Watch. David Ayer is probably the best director of Tough Guy Cinema currently working today and I can't wait to see what he makes next number 11 this must be the place by Paolo Sorrentino this splits opinion right down the middle you have gonna love it or hate it I loved it Sean Penn again proving he's probably one of the top five actors working today number 10 Little French film by the Dardenne brothers, The Kid with a Bike. This really does. Whereas the West Memphis Free, the West of Memphis nature lose faith in humanity in the way people are treated, this reaffirms your faith in humanity. A beautiful film. Number nine, a small film some GGTMC members might have watched, The Raid. Number eight, Killer Joe. Always have an add-on for McConaughey, even in his rom-com mode. I've always liked him. Yeah, he's been off form for years, but you always know he was going to get back on form. You don't just turn into... Well, he never were a bad actor. He just got chose bad roles. Um, freaking back on form as well. So, yeah, Killer Joe's my number eight. Number seven, Django Unchained. Um everything I wanted it to be and more um, I won't delve into it too much because I'm sure people we could discuss this film to the end of the earth but like I said it was everything I wanted barring like everybody said Tarantino's um, little cameo itself and I thought the best part about it was actually Samuel L. Jackson and I think any awards and I mean Christoph Waltz was excellent but for me um, that it's probably maybe in the top three Samuel L. Jackson performances of all time. Number six, probably the most, well, one of the most heartbreaking movies you'll watch this year is not ever. Um, and this director does this a lot and you're going to know where I'm going with this. And more. Um, it's not something I don't think I'll ever watch again because it's a... Uh, Real mood killer, but it's a beautiful piece of cinema. Number five, um, a film from France called Police. P-O-L-I-S-S-E. About a child's sex in um, the a, a police unit, the division of the Paris Police Service, and they deal with um, pedophiles and uh, child sex abusers. It, it was a film that put me through a whole range of emotions from 
anger to being to just crying. It's um, as a couple of people actually from the TV series Brakal that I'm always ringing in and talking about as well. It, um, it was a gut punch of a film, and that's why it stuck with me. Number four, Takeshi Mika's Harakiri, Death of a Samurai. I've actually spoke to Will about this over Skype, and I agree with what he said to me on the phone that night. That first 40 minutes is the most like, gut-wrenching piece of cinema I'll watch this year. It was so intense. I won't say why, because I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's just... I mean, I've never seen the original, but everybody seems to say he's done the original justice, and I am, I'm, it's going to make me watch the original now. I think it's on instant, so I'll check that out. Number three, probably the oddest film of the year. Um... You don't really know what's going on with it. I don't think anybody's figured that out yet. But it may it put me in tears the last five minutes of it. And that's Holy Malters. I think at Denny Levan um, plays a lead role in it. If you're giving out awards to the lady from Amora County, Emmanuel Riva, for Best Actress, why... Has he not been by the Academy for this performance? That, that That's my, the most mind-boggling decision of the year for me. Where I mean, we know the Oscars are a joke, and I think we're all agreed on that, but how we weren't even in consideration? Because for me, in terms of acting, this was the performance of the year. I think it's another film that will divide opinion. You'll either hate it or love it, but I'm firmly on the side of loving it. Number two, the film that put the biggest smile on my face of the year, Searching for Sugar Man. Um, I don't want to spoil it by going into it this much, but there was just one scene in this movie, and again, it had me in tears of joy more than anything. And I'll just say it's a concert scene, so I don't ruin anything too much. And seeing people so happy like that, that took me back to a time when I was a massive fan of Oasis for my sins as a um, teenager. And the first time I got tickets to see them, the euphoric feeling, I was jumping around my bedroom crying, laughing, screaming, shouting. I went through every range of emotion when I got um, tickets to see Oasis for the first time ever. And so during this concert scene, I, it just, like I said, I don't know why, because the story in itself of the old documentary, this, is, this shouldn't be the thing that sticks out most for me, but it is. I was just in absolute tears on a bus um, watching this and then number one so yeah so anyway we'll just finish off searching for Sugar Man um, if you haven't seen it watch it even though it's past year then now certainly watch it I'll definitely um, 
well, be buying some Rodriguez CDs. I've listened to some of his stuff online, and really does deserve recognition. He, he really is a talented musician. Um, and number one, the master. Um, I'd heard before I seen this a lot of mixed reviews. People saying they were left disappointed with this film. I know, you know, they were expecting a lot more of it. Well, I don't know what people were expecting from it. But first of all, you go into this and you know, it's loosely based on the founder of, is it Scientology? And you look at it as a film maybe about, or you could do about manipulation, nor how strange this faith is or what have you. But for me, this is, this. that's not what I took from this film. It's the film that stuck most for me um, since I watched it. Um, Joaquin Phoenix character, for me, and I think it's a bit of a personal note, and that's why it stuck with me. He seems a bit of a lost soul. And he's trying to find a sense of belonging in whatever form it appears. And everybody has been through stages in their life due to whatever circumstances where they felt like a sense of no worth or a sense of the life going nowhere. And during these periods, inevitably, we latch onto something to cheer ourselves up, to feel um, a sense of worth. And maybe these are things that we wouldn't do normally. And we maybe play a role that isn't... Oh, it's Paul again here. I got cut off there, and I was just in the middle of talking about why the master was me number one for here. So I'll start where I finished off. I'll say, well, when we feel lost, we might find something it could be anything it could be a sport an activity or a person or an organisation that we get involved in in some way it makes us feel better about ourselves but during that time we, don't, we, we are although we feel better about ourselves we're not really ourselves and this is just my interpretation this is what I took from it so we have to belong in and the things that we are in at that moment in time, like I said, you could play for a football team, you know, it could be a religious organisation, you might find some faith or something like that. And it seems the greatest thing in the world to you. And you see this in the film with Joaquin Phoenix's character, that when the things that he's found whether this was through manipulation or not, on Philip Seymour Hoffman's um, character's part. Um, he thinks it's a great thing in the world, and when it's criticised, he reacts angrily towards it, and he lashes out. And this is because his sense of being is being questioned. And I, I don't think there's anybody in the world who can say you've never felt a little bit like this. Um, 
we see something in Philip Seymour Hoffman's character that maybe he aspires to be, that he's missing from his life. And that's why he latches onto this. Again, whether it be through manipulation or not, this is a question you know, you can ask about anything really in life, and in particular religion, but I'm not going to go on a rant about that. Um, so, and so when somebody like that, especially in this case, and I think the film portrays it well, is that Philip Seymour Hoffman can, even though he feels a belonging, he can, because he now feels a sense of belonging, this is Joaquin Phoenix we're talking about, so it's more often his character can criticise him as much as he wants, put him down as much as he wants, but because at that moment in time this is the thing that's keeping him going, with a sense of self-worth, he'll sit back and take it, but all, all that time, and I think again, like I said, everybody's been through this, there's, there's something at the back of your head where you know it's wrong, um, you know you that this shouldn't be happening, but because you feel you, it's like a safety net, you don't want to break that safety net. Um, and I think the sort of so that's the main thought that I took out of that. You can say that I'm speaking crap that you don't see that, what have you? But that's just what I took out up from the film. I think Philip Seymour often when played the role with subtlety and I'm surprised he hasn't been nominated for any awards for it. I never really went on about Wacky and Phoenix but um, there's a subtlety to Hoffman's character um, that makes him that little bit creepier that little bit scarier um, Conclusively, though, uh, sorry to keep just thoughts racking around in my brain. So I'm sorry to keep pausing. Um, with um, Joaquin Phoenix's character, he realises that um, it's his own demons he has to deal with. I think everybody goes through that. Like, whatever it is you are involved with that's cheering you up, eventually, it's still your own demons that you need to sort out yourself. Um, um, and find a place within yourself that's true to yourself that you've been searching for. Um, I think the film itself on top of that is incredibly active, beautifully shot. Um, PTA is probably the was in the top five actor, directors working today. I know the film itself didn't um, really go in a particular direction or follow a particular narrative, but for me, in a sense, that's a metaphor for life because life doesn't and all the things I mentioned before, it could be, in a sense, a metaphor for that. 
that's just what I took from the movie. I'm sorry for waffling, but these are just the thoughts that it has brought out in me. Um, it's not some kind of false psychology or anything like that. That's just what I've been feeling since I've watched it. Anyway, um, here's to a great year for cinema. Um, and let's hope next year carries on the same. Um, and it, yourselves are another year strong. This is my second year now where you've done a year end. Um, fantastic group. Great podcast. I'll catch you all later. Bye. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Nick. Just wanted to call out my top 15 of 2012. Um, a lot of these aren't masterpieces. I would say probably most of them aren't masterpieces, but I got an appreciation for it throughout the year. And my number 15 is the aggression scale, mostly because of the whole Home Alone as a horror film concept. I thought that was really cool. My number 14 is a tie uh, to horror films, kind of B-movies. One was Hypothermia, say Michael Rooka ice fishing horror film. It reminded me of being a kid watching a made-for-video horror film. And the other one tied for 14 is Grabbers. My number 13 is The New Universal Soldier. My number 12 is The Man with the Iron Fist. And I totally get if people hate it. Just reading interviews of the RZA throughout the years, I thought it was a really cool tribute and fan film to the Shaw Brothers. My number 11 is on my list because of the atmosphere and the tone I thought was amazing. And that was Beyond the Black Rainbow. My number 10 is The Expendables 2. My number nine is The Hobbit. I really, I don't know, I did not want to see it. I got dragged by my wife to the theater and I ended up loving it. My number eight is The Loved Ones. My number seven is Kill List. Number six is a movie I saw twice on IMAX and it was way better the second time. Uh, and I want to definitely watch it again and that was The Dark Knight Rises. My number five is the biggest surprise of the year. Uh, John dies at the end. Number four is Prometheus. Number three is The Raid. Number two is Dread 3D. Like another amazing theater uh, experience I had watching that. And my number one movie of the year is the movie I keep thinking about. And it really disturbed me and it really stuck with me. And I can't stop thinking about The weird thing about that movie is I can't stop thinking about... Uh, oh, but it's, it's Django Unchained. And man, like... The relationship between Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Samuel L. Jackson just sticks with me, and I don't know what it is. It was just such a crazy film, and I can go on and on about it. But, guys, thank you again for having me on the show this year, and thank you for all the support from the community and the support from you guys. Love you guys. Love the community. Metal. We are rocking and rolling, and here comes the bug. Ah, uh, yeah, that's correct. It's the lightning bug here, and I am with my top 20 new movies seen in 2012 because um, I didn't see 30. So I know y'all got a million people, so I won't take forever on my list. We'll start off. Number 20, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. I tell you, Nick Cage keeps making Ghost Rider movies. I'll keep seeing them. Number 19, Grave Encounters 2. Didn't like it as much as Grave Encounters. I know some people don't like it at all. Screw you guys. It's number 19. Number 18, Dread. Mostly because of the performance of uh, Carl Urban. And not a whole lot. 
Uh, number 17, Seven Psychopaths, because at least five of them were entertaining to watch. Number 16, uh, Lawless, the first movie with Shia LaBeouf that did not completely irritate me. Uh, number 15, The Dark Knight Rises, uh, probably could have been in the top 10 if it had an hour cut out of it. Number 14, the movie that is not just Dread, The Raid Redemption. Um, I like that movie uh, a good bit, and uh, obviously more than Dread. Uh, number 13, The Watch, formerly Neighborhood Watch, not End of Watch. That's a different movie, and not this watch on my wrist because I'm not wearing one. Uh, a lot of people poo-pooed this movie. I found it really funny. I like Ben Stiller. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I ain't going to defend it. It's true. Uh, number 12, um, the documentary Mansum. Uh, as a well-dressed gentleman myself, I was uh, pretty fascinated with this look into uh, men's uh, health care and fashion and um, kind of found myself being ashamed at points. Uh, number 11, Red Lights, a uh, good little movie about psychic phenomenon with uh, Robert De Niro playing an understated performance for once in his career. Uh, well, not once in his career. He was like, anyway. Number 10, uh, The Expendables 2. That's right, The Expendables 2. Way better than The Expendables 1, plus Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mean, that get better than that. Number 9, The Liar's Autobiography, the uh, mostly true story of Graham Chapman and Monty Python. Great story, uh, wonderfully animated. I love how they put it together, just overall. Uh, number eight, The Avengers, because there's like eight of them, and surely there was eight of them. Uh, number seven, The Paperboy. I uh, just watched this the other night. Thought it was amazing. Can't believe I liked a movie with Zac Efron in it, but it happened. Uh, number. What am I at? Six. I'm going to go with uh, The Raven. Yeah, it, it was kind of awful. It kind of had a lot of CG to it. But I don't know. I found myself entertained by it. And there's two John Cusack movies in a row here. And I don't know. I, I don't know. It was bad, but I liked it. Uh, number five, The Strange and Horrible Fear of Everything. I don't think this has gotten out very much, but this is uh, Simon Pegg as a children's book author who is also incredibly paranoid of everything and it is awesome uh, you know I would say the first half of the movie is just about Peg by himself he carries it and then when the second half rolls around it becomes a completely unexpected movie that uh, I quite love number four because I can't have enough Matthew McConaughey on my list Killer Joe that's right, Killer Joe, the movie that is finger-licking good. I don't think I need to say more about that. Number three, The D is Silent and Django Unchained. I mean, do I really need to tell people why this movie's awesome? I don't assume I do with these, this crowd. Uh, number two, Ty West, The Innkeepers. Yeah, I like this movie a lot. Honestly, up until last week, this would have been my number one movie of the year. Uh, I think it is a movie that goes well beyond the surface of what's going on uh, with the ghost story in it. It's It's got some layers to it. And, um, you know, excluding the bullshit that Ty West did in VHS, he is a director that I just, I'm excited about everything that he 
does feature-wise. Uh, now, bumping out the innkeepers out of number one for my year, I just saw this last week, but it was an amazing movie. Uh, I would give it, you know, five stars. Um, all the performances were spot on. There was just barely any fat. Um, even though there was one weird fake ear moment that I didn't really get. Uh, safety not guaranteed. Probably one of the best romantic comedies to come out in a lot of years. Combining, you know, elements of light science fiction, romantic comedy, comedy, um, you name it. I mean, Duplass, Audrey Piazza, Piazza? Piazza? I don't know. Whatever her name is. Chick from, from Parks and Recreation. You know, it, it's good. It's good stuff. People should see it. It's on instant. So watch it and, you know, like it and stuff. All right. Well, that's it for my list. I was mostly rambly. I probably talked way too fast. But, you know, hey, deal with it. Bye, gentlemen. What's up, guys? Jimmy Gonzalez, a.k.a. Speedy, Las Vegas, Nevada. Top 30 time, my favorite time of year. I don't want to call very often, but this is the time of year where I just feel like I have to make my voice heard. And first of all, thank you guys so much for allowing us, the community, to even share our lists. Gives reason to go so um, extended into the the new year, actually, for uh, watching so many more films and squeezing them in before Oscar time. So please keep this tradition going. And uh, criteria for the top 30 is these are the films that moved me. These are the films that made me scratch my head. No matter what critics said or box office said, these are the movies that made me want to watch over and over. Or, you know, another thing is if I, I, I as I'm going through my list, I'm saying if it's something I'd want to buy, if it's something I want to see over and over, that was all I needed to add it to the list. So anyway, let me uh, move into my app here and shout out to this app called Shortlist, which allows me to move things around, especially when I'm adding and changing things so often. But, uh, okay, so number 30, Paranorman. Number 29 is The Dark Knight Rises. Number 28, Moonrise Kingdom. 27, Sinister. 26, The Grey. 25, Killer Joe. 24, Branded. 23, The Imposter. 22, Cosmopolis. 21, Sleep Tight. 20, Amour. 19, Searching for Sugarman. 18, The Loved Ones. 17, Zero Dark Thirty. 16, Oslo. 15, The Pact. 14, Compliance. 13, John Dies at the End. 12, Argo. 11, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. 10, Flight. 9, Barbarian Sound Studios. 8, the Master, 7, Beyond the Black Rainbow, 6, Beasts of the Southern Wild, 5, Excision, 4, Chained, 3, Django Unchained, 2, Cabin in the Woods, and number 1, Holy Motors. And why Holy Motors? Because it's a perfect example of a movie that made me want to revisit, made me scratch my head, it was very original. Uh, seeing things I've never seen before on screen, and just overall made me proud to be such a, a cinephile and lover of uh, European cinema. So that's it, guys. Thank you very much, and uh, please keep this tradition going. Love it, and uh, we'll talk. Peace. Oh. 
Hola, gentlemen. This is CDR calling in with my top 30 of 2012. Let's get down to business. I'm not going to give you any preamble. I'm just going to list them off and let it be. Uh, number 30 is Clown, just for Will Smith. 29 is The Imposter. 28 is Moonrise Kingdom, which apparently I'm the only one on the earth who liked that movie. Uh, 27 is Miss Bala. 26, Queen of Versailles. 25, The Avengers. 24, Haywire. 23, The Grey. 22, Cabin in the Woods. 21, This is 40. 20, West of Memphis. 19, The Raid. 18, Teddy Bear. 17, Looper. 16, Seven Psychopaths. 15, Silver Linings Playbook. 14, The Master. 13, Killing Them Softly. 12, Dark Knight Rises. 11, Dread. 10, Nameless Gangster. 9, Beyond the Black Rainbow. 8, Skyfall. 7, Jangle Unchained. 6, Killer Joe. 5, The Paperboy. 4, End of Watch. 3, The Comedy. Yes, I said it, The Comedy. 2, Prometheus. Yes, I said it, Prometheus. Number 1, Takashi Miike's Harakiri. That's it. Enjoy. Hello, chaps. Vishnu. Um, I'm very drunk, and I apologize. Um, I'm just phoning in my top, you know, 30 slash 20 slash whatever for the new year, and there's a 20 because a couple things I realized. One, I apparently don't go out a whole bunch for the new movies in the new year, so um, I don't see a lot of them. And two, because I'm a cunt, I'm going to defeat your um, numerical system because, you know, fight the man and all that. Um, and to keep consistency with my um, con- contribution for the um, Silver and Gold podcast, I'm going to be alphabetical because, well, you know, I'm an asshole. It's what I do. And what I am. So, in my top 20, A, a to Z, as it would be, um, if I went all the way to Z because I'm bad with definitive lists. Um, number A, which isn't a number, I know. Uh, also, oh, quick thing, qualification. Um, of my top 20, 1, 2, 3, 10 of them, or at least. They're movies that I saw in um, the Toronto International Film Festival, or TIFF. And um, I had a hard time deciding this because um, it's weird for me. The movies I saw in the film festival that probably aren't actually 2012 films, but for me, I saw in 2012, and so I shall count them as 2012 films. Because, well, you know, fuck you. As, as it would be, and I'm a drunken asshole. So, number one is a documentary called Act of Killing. This is a TIFF film. It's showing in Toronto in March. You can go see it. This is brutal. This is amazing. This is I, my jaw the floor is a documentary about um, Indonesian death squads. Your jaw doesn't drop if you don't feel terrible after watching it. And it's astounding. It hurts my brain. It, I, I don't understand how this, these people don't kill them. They're awful fucking 
ongoing in Toronto in March. Um, I don't know where it is. Listening from it, uh, it did get picked up by the draft house, um, Alma draft house, I mean. So it should be playing. Um, being on demand. Channel watching. Filmmaking level on a just on a purely storytelling level, it, it you will cry if you don't cry again. Like I said, you, know, you don't have a soul. That's, that's that's all it is. The next one going on my alphabetical list of my top twenty because I didn't do a thirty because like I don't leave the house a lot um, is Avengers um, because well fuck it's the Avengers and it was awesome and Will doesn't like it but you know I love Will but fuck him. <laughs> um, it's great. It was fantastic, and that's all I have to say. Um, my third one is Barbarian Sound Studio, which was one of the ones that I saw at TIFF. Um, I believe now it is floating around on various um, on-demand kind of things. It's one of these ones that I know a lot of people will not like. It's um, it it is more sort of style over substance. Some people will say, and they talk about Jaros. In, the, in relation to this film, though it's less to me, it's less about giallos as it is about um, Paul Nashi films and films to do with like um, the you know Templar movies, the, the sort of Blind Dead. Lovely Toby Jones, who's wonderful and he's absolutely amazing. He's the sort of quintessential British chap. Goes to Italy and makes a film and doesn't work for him and his brain goes mad and then it becomes a David Lynch film and it's fantastic and it is unsatisfying if you like a sort of cohesive linear plot but if you're willing to sort of soak up atmosphere and just sort of shit goes crazy this will be fantastic my number sort of you know four movie or C would be Captain in the Woods um, again you know Mr. William isn't a huge fan of this. Personally, I am. I'm a Whedon guy. I'm a Whedon fan, and for me, this was just like, this was candy. This was amazing. It was all of those wonderful things about horror films that I love. It was, it was, it was for me, brilliant. It, I mean, fuck, the, the unicorn. All I have to say is unicorn. If you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, watch it. Um... I loved it. I know Whedon, um, Whedon has a way of doing sort of very snappy, very witty, very calculated dialogue that not everybody enjoys, some of those people being Mr. William. But it is, for me personally, clever and funny and awesome. And it, it, it treated horror films with respect and love that they deserve, but at the same time acknowledged the dumb shit that goes on. And you, you dig it. Um, the next one on my list here, alphabetically speaking, is Chronicle. This is a film that should not have been as good as it was. It was a it's a point of view film. It's a you know found footage film, which I am not a big fan of. They're terrible, but it worked because again they treated the characters with love and respect, and that that honestly is a big thing. It is about treating people um, or characters rather, and the story with respect. So. This was a, a, it got, by the end, almost Akira-like. This is the live-action Akira that we wanted, but we didn't get. Um, this is the film that treated what would happen if you treated, uh, essentially, 
a bunch of guys, regular guys, some of them are they're a little bit douchey, they're a little bit regular, they're a little bit, you know, popular, but they're real human beings. They're full out, fleshed, 3D characters. And what would happen if you gave them superpowers? And this is what happens. Um, and again, because it's my top 20, my next one on the list is Dark Knight Rises. And I'm not really going to speak about that because, well, fuck, it's Dark Knight Rises, and I'm assuming all of you have seen it. Catwoman. Yeah, that's what I have to say. Dread is the next one on my list. Um, Dread was fan-fucking-tastic to me. This was a movie that treated 3D well. It had, I mean, the cinematographer who treated, who did um, Antichrist. So it was pretty. It was pretty. It was bloody. It was fun. You had a main character um, in Dread who managed to convey emotion and and a real human being through a mask where he's only, uh, Mr. Um, Aussie Man there. He's only... He's only you know, acting through the bottom half of his face. He, you can't see his eyes. You can't see his, anything above his nose, really, because of the mask. And yet he still managed to do it. It was quite very, it was very good. Uh, the next one on my list there is Gangs of Wasipur. I'm going to say, I'm going to butcher that. I'm sorry. Gangs of Wasipur 1 and 2. I'm going to treat them as one movie. I have natted on about this. Um, before in the podcast, um, again, this is my sort of third TIFF film, as it would be, or technically fourth TIFF film, because Dread was a TIFF film, fourth TIFF film. Um, if you get the chance to see this on the big screen, I implore you to see this movie, um, both parts. It is, it is, don't think of it as a Bollywood film, don't think, think of it as an Indian-based Scorsese movie. This is a Indian-based Goodfellas. It is massive it is in scope in color in everything it is fantastic and it and i i don't understand why you would not like this film i really cannot the next one in my top 20 here is goon it's a little kind of film he puts himself the uh, hand of ndg if you're quebecois you know what that means it's about hockey. It's about hockey and fighting. And I, I am one of these guys, as much as I like pugilism, I'm not a big um, fighting and hockey guy, but this, he, this is a great argument for fighting. This is about a lovely, fantastic chap, um, Sean Miller Scott, who is brilliant in this. I'm not a big fan of his. But he's great in this. He's this guy who, he's, you know what he's good at? He's good at fighting. He's, he, he can punch a man in the face. And this is what he's good at. So he he learns to skate, and he 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 can you know he he learns to fight for his team. It's about team play and sort of camaraderie and very some male bonding. It's a very male film, um, and it's quite wonderful. The next one I have is incredibly male. It's 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 if you you know if you one of the ladies and you watch this movie, you'll actually grow chest hair watching this, and that would be the grey. Um, Liam Nielsen and the advertised wrong because I did I went into this movie and I wanted to watch Liam Nielsen punch wolves in the face and that's not what this movie, movie is about it does happen it is near the end but on the way there it is about again it, this is like the thing if you pulled out all of the um, the sort of sci-fi elements of it it's about men bonding in a terrible situation they're in the Arctic they they, they, they have no way of they have to they have to walk and trudge through snow and ice and all sorts of bullshit. And what do men do? It is it is it, it sounds sexist, but it is very masculine. 
but what do men do? And this is this is that film, and this is um, it is fantastic for that. The next one on my alphabetical list is a wonderful French movie that I know Mr. William enjoyed. It's Holly Motors, and this is a film that I know not everybody will like. I get that. I mean, one of my uh, a dear friend of mine, he who is a reviewer of films who I love, he hated this film. But the fact this film will push people to sort of these, these margins, you will love it or you will hate it, I think it makes the film a success. And Holly Motors is, is very odd. It is incredibly odd. And the lead, if you cannot respect his, his physical prowess after this movie, then you don't like filmmaking. That is it. Also, you've got um, Kai Minogue being fantastic. After that, I have uh, a documentary. It's my first documentary of the year, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. This is coming from a vegetarian. This is uh, someone who doesn't eat seafood, who doesn't like to see. I get squirmy seeing um, fish and living things cut, which is what this is. There is a lot of things that are still alive being cut in this movie, but it's also a movie about the way, um, I can't remember the Japanese word, but it's about how you dedicate your life to doing one thing and doing it really fucking well. And it is fantastic. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully scored. And if you don't watch this movie and think, hmm, I should go back to my job on Monday and do it a little bit better, then either you are doing your job at some kind of level I cannot understand. It's amazing. Or, you know, again, you have no soul. Um, after that, my next alphabetical list is a movie called John Dies at the End, which is, again, one of my TF movies. Um, I know. All I can say about this movie is uh, that door shall not be opened. Referring to a door where the doorknob turns into a giant penis. Yeah, the movie is odd. It is ridiculous. It is crazy. They punch above their weight. Um, it is a small, small budget and yet they managed to work within that, and it, it is ridiculous. I have no idea what was going on at the time. It was insane. It was crazy. It was fun. And that, my friend, is what, is what filmmaking is about. The next one is also a TIFF film, and I apologize. It is a documentary called Leviathan. This is not the, um, you know, the one about there was an alien ripoff about people in a space, um, um, a submarine space station thing. This is a movie about fishing. To be on, on on a sort of very basic level, it's a documentary about commercial fishing. Again, vegetarian, don't care for that shit. I really don't care about fishing, but yeah, this movie is insane. They use, um, from a sort of uh, technical standpoint, they use HD cameras, these little tiny, tiny, teeny tiny um, HD cameras, and they take them to the fisherman's chest, to the fisherman's heads. They wrap them into the nets. This is a movie that is about 90 minutes long. There is no narrative. There is no overarching story. It just it thro- it throws you in. This is quite literally sink or swim. You will either love this movie or you will hate the fuck out of it. I personally loved it. It was insane. It was There are moments you're going in and out of the water as the camera is going up and down, in the, caught in the net. And it's in the water. It's up the water. It's... The, the, there's beautiful moments of um, seagulls cat, 
picking at the crab, but the seagulls are on the bottom because the camera has been twisted upside down. There are moments of mundanity when a, a fisherman is just, you know, he's showering and just scrubbing himself down. It's it's brilliant. It is a fantastic. If you get a chance to see it, I absolutely implore you to go see Leviathan. My next one, again, another TIFF film. Um, it is uh, much to do about nothing. This is a this is the Whedon film. Um, I'm a massive Whedon nerd. Um, this is the one Whedon poster um, Avengers. He wanted to sort of take a breather from his own house in Hollywood over a couple weekends, like in black and white. And it's just it's. I mean, I'm not a huge Shakespeare guy, but I know the play. I know the film, and when I saw it, it you leave the cinema with this massive shit-eating grin. It is, it's charming and lovely and fantastic, and it's quite wonderful. <sighs> Sorry. So my next one on my alphabetical list is one that I had, I was reticent to put on. It's The Raid. For me, The Raid was a 2011 film. I saw it at TIFF in 2011, but it was also a 2012 film in that. I saw it in the cinema at least three times in 2012 because I dragged people there and I loved that movie and I took them there and fuck, you can break an arm 17 ways and they do it all this time in that film. That's all I have to say. Moving along. My next one is Safety Not Guaranteed, which is one that I didn't think would show up. It's a, it's a rom-com. It's got the chat from um, you know, a TV show, uh, New Girl. But it was charming. It was lovely. It was sweet. It was slightly cute. It had um one of the guys, uh, Jay, I can't what say his name. Um, Duplass, du, Duplass, you know, puppy chair, you know, Miles Show Show kind of guy. It should have been either hipster bait or it should have been so saccharine I wanted to kill myself. But it, it managed to hit just in the middle. So. You wear skinny jeans, but you don't get diabetes. Do you know what I mean? It was great. It was fantastic, and um, I highly recommend. I've seen it a couple times now. Cause I highly recommend it. The next one was one of my TIFF films. Again, I'm an asshole. Though if you're in the UK, it was it got a regular release in that Sightseers. This is by um, Mr. Uh, Kill List and or Down Terrace, and it's a, again a weird romantic comedy. If you want to put it that way. Romantic comedy with lots of murder. Um, incredibly black humor. So, so dark. Also has a girl dancing in the worst underwear you've ever seen. And I, if you've seen worse underwear, then I apologize. But um, it was fantastic. So bloody. So funny. And had one of the greatest 80s soundtracks you've ever heard. My last reel of my top 20 is someone that is coming out properly in 2013. Though I, again, saw it in TIFF, and I'm a I'm going to call my list of movies I saw in 2012, and that's Spring Breakers. Fucking... I cannot describe how much I love that film. Um, I'm a big Harmony Korean fan to begin with. I admit that. I mean, I loved Gummo. Gummo is one of my absolute favorite films. But Spring Breakers is is weird. It's it's not a Harmony Korean film in the traditional sense. It feels like a Michael Mann film. Everything is lurid and neon and lights reflected and oil on the ground and 
girls in bikinis and pink balaclavas holding AKs, dancing around to a Britney Spears song in slow-mo while James Franco in cornrows and a gold grill is playing on a grand piano. That's the movie it is. It's And, you know, it is amazing. Uh, James Franco embodies Alien, the character. Um, the girls, yes, they this sun casting. We'll get a bunch of Disney girls to play sort of like slutty bikino clad spring break girls so you get to see girl you know you know you get to see selena gomez uh and um, amber benson doing lines of coke off another girl's tits and it's fantastic but it's also it works for the story it's it's brilliant and i and i i love this movie i will go see this i'm i am going to go see this movie again um Spring Breakers, please go see it. Look up my shit to quote Alien. My um, I'm gonna do a couple honorable mentions. Um, one is Call Girl. This is another TIFF movie. It's from Sweden. It's about a true life um sex conspiracy thing. In um, and it has the most amazing soundtrack. It's got this little weird John Carpenter esque soundtrack. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. Um. The other one is uh, Lore, which was also one of my honorable mentions. It's an Australian film, but it's about it's in German. It's it's about a German girl who whose family of devout Nazis after the sort of collapse of the Third Reich. It's brilliant. Um, two other films I wanted to mention was The Master and Beasts of the Seven Wild, which left me fucking cold. I saw Beasts with Mr. William there, and maybe because I don't have children, I don't know. I know um, Will did mention that, but um, it just the Beasts and The Master, they were both films where I could see how individually the parts were fantastic, but as a whole, they just didn't work for me at all. Left me fucking cold. Um, that is it. Oh, no, sorry, my other tiny, tiny honorable mention I want to give a little shout-out to is a Chilean film called, um, I think it's Chilean. Uh, it's South America, some description. I apologize. It's called Seven Boxes. If this is um, if it's marketed well, it should be a a sort of it should be a big crossover hit. But anyway, like I said, Master and Beasts of Well, I don't get them. They it left me cold, even with the Amy Adams giving um Philip Seymour with a hand job. <sighs> That's it. I take care. Have a wonderful night, and love you all. Bye. Hey guys, this is Matt Mills from Intros from the Skeleton Closet, a.k.a. Walpurgis Matt, and I am calling in with my top ten for 2012. Um, I need to preface by saying that 2012 was kind of a crazy year for me, so I didn't get uh, to keep up with uh, film as much as I like to. <clears throat> However, um, I ended up... Uh, kind of catching up within this last week, uh, really, and seeing most of the movies that I missed. So, uh, without further ado, I will jump right in. My number 10 is Amour by Michael Haneke. Um, I thought that movie was beautiful. And um, and not so much, not as sad as, as the, some of his other stuff, but still, I don't know. Um, I'm a sucker for that guy. Uh, number 9 was The Paperboy. Um, I thought that uh, performances, uh, the story, the soundtrack, just everything about that was awesome. Um, number eight, uh, Django Unchained. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy about this one, but um, I still enjoyed it. Uh, there are plot holes 
And um, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of sick of the, the revenge, you know, theme that Tarantino is sticking with. But, I mean, Christoph Waltz alone in that film was worth it for me. Um, number seven, something that uh, I'm surprised actually made it was The Raid. Um, I'm not a huge action fan, but I have never, ever in my life seen action like this. It was absolutely crazy. Um, number six, Harry Carey, Death of a Samurai. Um, Mike to me, uh, has his ups and downs, um, but I think that overall he's a really, really amazing filmmaker, and this movie really shows it. Um, Next, let's see, what is it? Number five, John Dies at the End. Um, Don Coscarelli, uh, also a really great filmmaker. Actually, these three in a row are. Um, Don Coscarelli, um, after Bubba Hotep, I didn't know where he would be able to go with that. And uh, John Dies at the End is, if, if you haven't seen it or don't know much about it, I'm not going to say anything because it's so fucking insane. Um, and somehow it works and it's fun and it's just all around a great movie, or at least I felt so. Um, number four, Killer Joe. Um, this movie, I feel, really shows how underrated William Fredkin is as a director. Um, it is a excellent Southern Gothic noir. Um, Matthew McConaughey was was just fantastic. I thought he blew it out of the park in this one, um, even more so than in Paperboy, which I'm sure I will hear um, some arguments about that. Um, my number three is something that um, uh, Will turned me on to that I hadn't heard of, and it is uh, This Must Be the Place um, by, and I'm really bad with names, so uh, Piallo Sorrentino, um, and it's Sean Penn and uh, Francis McDormand. This movie was probably the most beautiful film that I saw um, last year uh, or of 2012. It, 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 I wasn't quite sure what I was getting into when I started it. And by the end, um, I, I, I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And it just, it, it, it just seems to solidify more and more as a, a absolutely beautiful film. Um, certainly check it out. Number two is uh, Searching for Sugar Man, the documentary about Rodriguez. Uh, I, I thought this, the, just the, the way they, the story, how they found him, and then, um, spoiler, and uh, um, the soundtrack, you know, after after watching it, I, uh, I got some Rodriguez and I haven't stopped listening to it, but it was a great movie, um, really, really good documentary. And finally, my number one is The Master. Um, a movie that I still have not stopped thinking about. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, after, after There Will Be Blood, he's certainly going in a direction that I want him to continue to go into. Um, this is a step up for me um, as far as filmmaking, as far as, as, as story. Uh, um, acting is always superb in his films. I, I don't know. I, I still can't stop thinking about it. Um, and that definitely uh definitely wins uh for my 2012 viewings um there was like i said uh i did see a whole bunch of other stuff um but they don't quite make it to the top 10 unfortunately sometimes and that's just how it goes um but uh i just like to say that i'm grateful to be a part of the uh 
GGTMC community um, and all the awesome people that are in that. Um, and I really want to thank Big Will and Samurai for allowing me to give my top ten. Um, and you guys keep it up because you are the best fucking dudes out there doing this. Um, and with that, I will now say adios. All right. So there's there's a good portion of everybody's list that's sent in from voicemail. And again, like I say, we'd love to address those live, but there's just no way. As you guys can see, that was quite extensive. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sending those in, though. A lot of great films, a lot of great stuff in there, a lot of great people, it should be said, sending in their list. I know Will is as appreciative as I am. Uh, we're going to go over the emails and stuff a little bit later after we go through our 11 through 30s, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much, guys, for sending those in. We really, really appreciate it. Truly, and then again, we do really, as Sammy said, not to be dead horse, but we really wish we could count on each and every selection. But, I mean, we'd be looking at, like, a five-hour show here. And, you know, we normally only do two hours. So right. thank right. you guys. Awesome. Really. All right. All right. So uh, how do you want to do this? You want to do uh, bronze, silver? You want to go backwards? You want to go forwards? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you think? You want me to go first? Um, let's. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, let's start with number 11 because those were – Higher up our list, we'll go 11 to 30. All right, I'll go first, considering you went first on the top 10. That'll work. All right, so my number 11 is Take This Waltz, the Sarah Polly film. I know some people have issues with this film, uh, some of the independence of it all, but I really loved it. Um, it's a heartbreaker in a lot of ways, and uh, yeah, just had a good time with it. Really did, sadly. <laughs> I don't know if that says a lot about me or not. <laughs> Uh, no, it, it is it is a good show. Yeah, my number twelve was Bones Brigade, great skateboard documentary. Oh, oh sorry, you want to do it like that? Just oh boom, yeah, boom, 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 boom. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just boom, 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 boom. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, cool. We'll do it that way. Um, number thirteen was Searching for Sugar Man. Uh, really love this film. Nice. A nice emotional impact in a documentary. Uh, it, it's just a great story. You know, even if some of the things have come to light since then, it's still just a great story. And like you said a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you know, the guy, the the guy's just got character. You know, he's just got character. He's just uh, he's a bona fide. You know, he's just a good good, a good dude. So you can't really go against him. Um, and a very talented musician, sadly, that just got overlooked. But you know, that happens a lot in the music world, sadly. So, sadly, yeah. And we just kind of talked about it in the acting world with Linda Cardellini. So there we go. Uh, number fourteen, Killer Joe, the best drumstick sucking film I saw. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, Killer Joe. Killer Joe was really good. It was really, really good, and uh, it, it probably would have made my top ten. I did have some issues, and I told Will this off the air that it did feel a little bit like, you know, freaking trying to do some things that kind of recapture some of what he used to be able to do. It, it's still very good. I mean, it's number fourteen out of, you know, a hundred and two hundred, three hundred something films I saw this year, but. Um, I just felt it didn't really warrant the top ten. Uh, great performances though, all around. Uh, well, except for uh, Emil Hirsch, who, sadly, he doesn't really have a lot to do in the film anyway. He's kind of a schlub. So, kind of a bad, you know, but but I I do like him as an actor. I think, I mean, you've talked about him before. Yeah, he, he's good. I just don't think he's great in Killer Joe. I mean, you both agree with that. He's uh, the weakest part of a strong ensemble, but he's still fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's perfectly fine, right? That's what it is. So, all right, number 15 for me is Dread, which uh, I think for me was the best comic book film of the year. I always try to put a comic book film in there because, you know, I always get a lot of crap for that. I had a lot of fun with dread. I really did. Uh, it was a simple story, simple setup, similar to the raid in some ways. I agree. Um, but I, 
it's a ballsy film because uh, some of the things they decided to do wouldn't, you know, I mean, it just, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know how many times you're going to see your lead not take the helmet off or anything. I just, it just take guts. It just take, it just took a lot of guts to make the film they made. Uh, Hyperviolent, which is also very nice. Uh, I always kind of like these kind of B superhero films. I think I've said that before, but. Agreed, because they can take more risks because there's not as much of a budget and there's not as much of a, um, an opportunity for it to be a disaster. So they can take a few more risks, which pay off creatively. Right, right. Also, you know, this year I did like Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance as well. I mean, it's ridiculous, but I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. These B superhero type films. Number 16, Marley. A lot of documentaries in there. Uh, yeah, the Marley documentary. Great documentary. To highly recommend it. Definitely check it out. Uh, number 17, Jiro, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Uh, yeah, this almost made my top 10. I don't know how I ended up all the way down 17, but there's just some things I liked a little bit more. Uh, Bones Brigade and Sugar Man, as far as documentaries, I, they just really spoke to me a lot more, but this is really, really good stuff. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, it just, it speaks to the human condition. Not only that, but it also made me very hungry. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number 18, Zero Dark Thirty. You liked it more than me, nice. but I did like it quite a bit. It was really, really good. Um, I like both of those pieces together. And as time goes on, I think I'll like Zero Dark Thirty more than Hurt Locker because only because Zero Dark Thirty, I think, is more of a thriller. And mm-hmm. it's a more, of a, it's a chase film, right? It kind of speaks to base instincts and stuff. And I really like that. Uh, very, very good performances all around from everybody in that cast, too. Um, Number 19, uh, one we talked about early in the year last year uh, as one of our favorites, uh, The Gray. Liam nice. Neeson. Uh, macho, muy, muy macho film. <laughs> muy macho cinema. Uh, good stuff, man. It just uh, I know some people didn't dig it, and I, I, can, I can see that. But, man, I, I really love this to me was as good a men on a mission film as any other. And it, you know, it wasn't an intentional mission. It was a mission of uh, survival. And uh, I really enjoyed that. I really did. Uh, Liam Neeson's great in this film. Great, great, great return by him. Great performance by a lot of people in the film. But Liam Neeson really is a, a, a he's a rock solid, to use a Fabian expression, uh, presence in this movie. And I love his little narration bits too, the quietness of them. Uh, Joe Carnahan making a great macho cinema for the modern era. Oh, I'm glad he's gotten away from some of the gloss, which was serviceable. It was entertaining. But yeah. when you make NARC, I have faith that you're going to be one of the best filmmakers uh, of, of your time. True, true. Uh, number 20 for me, Undefeated, the football documentary. Uh, not really about football. So for those of you who don't want to watch it because you don't watch football, I think I saw Alex post something about that. He's not really into football. That's fine. You don't have to be. It's not about football really at all. So definitely check it out. Oh. Uh, number 21, Everyday Sunshine, The Story of Fishbone. Oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, hang on. Do you want to do 11 to 20 and then I do 11 to 20? Do you want to do that or do you just want to run through it? No, I'll just run through it. I'll just run through it. Okay. I'm, I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. I'm like butter, baby. <laughs> butter in that Chaka Khan butthole. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for some of our listeners who only listen to this show every year, <laughs> then, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they're loving it. No, yeah, but Everyday Sunshine, The Story of Fishbone, great story of a band that... Uh, you know, fell apart. Some of the insanity that musicians have, and easily one of the most influential bands of all time that nobody really ever talks about. The story yeah, of Fishbone. I, so, I, I agree, and I really wanted to cram this, but I just didn't have time. It's yeah. unfortunate. Yep. Yeah. Number twenty-two, compliance. The one uh, 
that Alex thought <laughs> Alex thought was hot. Uh, <laughs> somebody, somebody, get that guy in a seminar. Sexual harassment at the workforce is going to go up. Yeah, oh man, <laughs> can tell myself. He's like, let me check out your iPad, baby. All right, uh, yeah, compliance. I really enjoyed this film. Very simple, uh, good, very good performances. Uh, sometimes I get turned on as much by simplicity in, in cinema as I do by the complexities that cinema offers. So this is like a loaf. When we get that apron on loaf at Horror Hound, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. All right. So uh, number twenty-three, the house I live in. Uh, this is a movie about the prison system in America. Uh, I highly recommend people check this one out. I really do. It's one of the overlooked documentaries of the year, I believe in. I, I believe in. I believe. So The House I Live In, check it out. Uh, number 24, American Scream, another documentary. As you can see, there was plenty of documentaries on the list. They just didn't make the top ten. Uh, this one's yeah, about, I, forgot. I didn't get to try this one either. Yeah. I wanted to. Yeah, this one's about uh, people who do haunted houses out of their own house for Halloween and just the kind of celebration of Halloween. Uh, I didn't expect much from this because, honestly, I'm not really interested in people who do haunted houses at their house. Um, but like any good documentary, it's uh, it just got, it, it, it captured me. It really did, and I really got into it. So, yeah, definitely check it out. It's really good. Number 25, Fightville, a little uh, death rattle recommendation. Uh, again, another subject I have no interest in whatsoever, but the documentary kind of got me got, got all caught up in it. So, MMA. Yeah, MMA. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, Aaron coming strong, representing. Uh, number 26, Jeff, who lives at home. Quiet, Duplass Brothers film. Uh, very good. Uh, great performances from, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh Fuck. Mark Duplass. No, 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 no Duplasses in this one. They're behind. Oh, no, no, yeah. This is. Uh, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> You're thinking of safety not guaranteed. I think. The yeah. uh, oh fuck, I can't remember his name now. How embarrassing. Jason, Jason Siegel. Jason, Jason, Jason Siegel. And, uh, and, and it, yeah, and Ed Helms. There we go. That's a high recommend too. Seventy-something minute film. Great drama. Uh, great film. Just great film. Very realistic brother relationship in the film too. Uh, Twenty-seven. Might be controversial for you here. Uh, Twenty-seven goon, which I liked quite a bit. The uh, Sean William Scott hockey enforcer film with Liev Schreiber smoking cigarettes like he's eating candy. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad to see they made some lists though. Yeah, cool. yeah. I, I was. You know, the only reason why I watched this, I watched this because Show Show loved it so much, and uh -huh. I thought, well, you know, I, you know, Miles and Katie, I love them both, and I'm pretty tight with Miles anyway. So I was like, you know what? If they dug it that much. Maybe I should give it a watch. And it was on Instant Watch. It was on there for like months, and I didn't watch it. Because, you know, Sean William Scott's got a bit of a history, right? I mean, he's he's made some really bad comedies as well. So I thought it might be like his uh, his tennis comedy. I think it's called Balls Out or something. Oh, like that. So I thought, no, I'm not going to watch this hockey comedy with him. But it's not a comedy at all, really. I mean, there's some couple funny moments and stuff, but it's actually a pretty, pretty good film, I thought. Uh, 28, uh, it's an ESPN 30 for 30, Benji. Uh, emotionally, very good film. Uh, it has some flaws with the filmmaking, I think. Some animated stuff I didn't really care for, but it's a really, really good film. Great story. Uh, tragic story in a lot of ways. 29, Indie Game, the movie. If you're into video games, you owe it to yourself to watch this. Seriously. And number 30, The Ambassador. 
little bluga. Mad bluga. Yes. So like I got the cigarette and then I went to get my passport. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Bruger impersonation there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but no, I, that 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 film is a great example of somebody who has seriously lost their mind <laughs> and decided to do some stuff in front of a camera. Uh I I'll be I'll be honest with you, I'll be surprised if if Bruger doesn't at some point either end up arrested in a foreign country or dead if he isn't careful. And yeah, for real. he better get as many of these done as he can before people start to pick up because he does have a distinct look, a look. I think yeah. I, said, I think I just said looked, uh, a distinct <laughs> look. And if he keeps showing up in these places sooner or later with the way people can see cinema and stuff now, people are going to be like, oh, no, dude, I'm not getting on camera with you, man. I know who you are. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully uh, he can get a few more of these in before he uh, really starts to pick up. <laughs> Let's remember before I forget to, um, in a few weeks, once people have had time to listen, let's remember to, to post our lists because, you know, sometimes people like that. So Yeah, yeah. They do, and we tend to forget. So <laughs> let's try to remember. I agree. Yes. <laughs> All right. You're 11 through 30, Large William. Okay, so here it is. Um, let me get some aqua. Uh, my number 11 is a film I'm really surprised to hear you didn't mention. Um, I thought you'd seen it. It's a film by a master filmmaker who, who does emotional violence in day-to-day life better than anyone. Um, the subject matters hard. It was the first film that ever, I can ever say, for the first time in my life, I felt afraid of getting old. That's Michael Haneke's Amour. Yeah, I didn't get to that one. Didn't get to it. Oh, okay, then that, that explains it. Cause I was like, man... I'm for sure thought that he was going to dig this. It's uh, oh, you know, a I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of the Haneke. Oh yeah, yeah. He, I'll tell you, Emmanuel Riva is great in the film. Okay, she literally transforms. But the revelation, not even the revelation, because we knew what he was all about. He's he's in my favorite spaghetti western of all time. He's in one of my favorite films of all time. Z. Mm-hmm. Jean Louis Trintignant puts in one of the best performances of the year. Nice, nice. Looking forward to seeing. Yeah, it's real good. I, I didn't cry. I thought I'll be honest. I thought I was gonna puss throughout the film. I didn't cry, but it was still very emotionally moving. And like I said, it oh man, it really made me scared to get old a little bit. And you know, but there's a few there, there's some hopeful lines in the film too, talking about you know life being beautiful and stuff, which which I, I believe it is. So right. that's my number eleven. Uh, my number twelve kind of goes to the other end of the spectrum. It talks about the brashness of youth. Which my next few do. Uh, the brashness of youth in a profession that can make you very jaded and can chew you up and spit you out. It's a film I didn't have any expectations for, uh, but people like Davey McLemore and Chris Davies Rowan and a few other people were just going bananas for the film. And I thought, well, I better see it. And uh, that was End of Watch. It's, uh, oh, yeah. what a film it is. Oh, I'll tell you, it's, it's just, it's an incredible film. It features, the, as I said before, it features the profession of police, uh, police work. It shows the sensational thing those men and women do without sensationalizing it. Um, it has a human touch. Uh, it, it is just a really great film. Uh, number 13, and you know, I took a breath when you said no documentaries in the top 10, because I didn't want to show my hand. I stopped myself. Oddly, I didn't have any in my top 10 either, but I looked, and I still had the same number overall as I do as I did the year prior. Hmm. So my best documentary of the year was one that um, I knew would be in my list. I knew it would be high up, but I thought there was one or two documentaries that would beat it, but it turned out to be sort of the, the, my favorite documentary this year, as it turns out, and that's Bones Brigade. 
Yes. Um, nice. Oh man, it's it's really great stuff. And you know, the thing I love about this film is is skateboarding is very much about youth, and it's about an era, um, and it reminds us of our youth. And I think it does that thing where you know, when you look at youth, it looks at it in a in a in a romantic way, but in a, in a true way, because I mean, this is these guys looking back at their lives at a moment in time, and you know, listening to Rodney Mullen, and it you know makes me want to cry thinking about what he went through and. And just thinking about these guys, the camaraderie they had. And I think it's something, you know, we weren't all part of the Bones Brigade, but I think in a small way, each every every one of us with our group of friends, you go through a lot of zany stuff together. And yeah. to see these guys as grown men with families of their own in a lot of the cases, it's um, it's really poignant stuff. And it kind of brings life full circle. These are, these are adults with families now, right? I know. I know. It's amazing. So, yeah, really great stuff. And like you, I, I love Peralta's work, but I, I hope now – as much as I love the stuff he's done in skateboarding, as far as documentaries go and film goes, I hope now he can, he can move outside that. Cause I'm very anxious to see what else he does. Mm-hmm. Um, next up was my favorite documentary of the year. Not, not the best necessarily, but my favorite and that's searching for sure. Maybe my favorite story, <clears throat> my favorite subject matter, searching for sugar man. Nice. I hope, I hope this fun. wins the Oscars. What, what, what number is that? 13. Uh, this is number 14. 11 oh. was a more 12 and the Fox, 13 Bones Brigade, okay. 14, Searching for Sugar Man. We're close on both of these documentaries, though. Bones Brigade and, San- and Searching for Sugar Man are two favorite docs of the year. Yeah, very so. cool. Very cool. And like I said, there's some uh, some reveals that have come out after the fact. Nothing that I think, and like you said, nothing that taints the story, nothing that taints the, the titular Sugar Man. I think they're minor things in the grand scheme of things, but it is a bit lamentable that there wasn't like a little black screen with some script on it to say, you know, Blah, 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 basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I don't think it impacts the overall power of the story. Um, a great, like I said, I went out and bought his album, Cold Fact. And I've listened to it. You know, every every few days I put it on and I'll listen. It's a beautiful, beautiful album. Yeah. Uh, and it goes to show truth is stranger than fiction. Between that and Compliance, which is a film that um, isn't on my list, to be forthright, but like we said on the show, if someone had made a film about this, we would say this would never happen. This is so nonsense. I know. <laughs> so truth is stranger than fiction. It is. Um, number 15 is, is kind of a left field pick, I guess, in some ways. It's a documentary that didn't get a DVD release. It didn't get a theatrical release. It was I saw it on YouTube through this media company. Now, they started as a magazine in Montreal with a couple former addicts. Um, and they've done very well for themselves. They moved to New York. They're an international brand now, and I love what they're doing in the world of journalism and specifically global global journalism. This is Vice Magazine, and Vice Magazine's documentary Kennable Warlords of Liberia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> this is a tremendous piece of film. I've said it every time I've talked about this, but I feel it's appropriate. If you if you want to see hell on earth, you watch this documentary because there is nothing more. There is not a more awful place I've ever seen uh, in my life than Liberia. Hmm. I mean, it makes the Congo look stable and much more of a humanitarian state. Because there's a great documentary about um, the mining for, um, I can't remember the mineral now, that's used with a lot of technology-based items like cell phones and laptops. Uh, There's none in the Congo now. So the problem is Liberia doesn't have anything to mine. Right, wow. so it's wow. just uh, a lot of brutality. So that's my number fifteen. My number sixteen is a film that I, that I think is the more I think about it, could end up creeping up my list. 
Um, it's a long film. It was a bit of a daunting one. I kind of left it to near the end to watch. And uh, it's a film that got a lot of praise, a lot of praise from a country that has a pretty good uh, cinematic um, history, and that's Turkey. And this one's better than Turkish Star Wars, certainly. It's uh, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia. <laughs> yeah, that was one I was going to try to cram before the end of the year. I didn't get a chance to, though, sadly. It's a beautiful film. It's one of the best-looking films of the year, without question. The themes in the film and the interpretations of it—it it, it has a, a almost like a, a fairy tale feel to it. it, it the first half of the film, which takes place, or maybe the first sixty-five percent of it or so, it takes place all at night as some some officials are looking for a body in a murder case, and there's some stuff kind of told in hushed tones, and some stuff's happening, and it, it's it's a really great film. It's a police procedural, but in sort of the loosest sense. Um, when they go to daytime and some other stuff happens, I, I don't care for the daytime as much. I think it loses a little bit of its sparkle, but. It's still an amazing film, and it's a, it's like I said, it's a staggeringly beautiful film. So, uh, very high recommend. That's on Netflix Instant, I believe. Yes, so, it is. Check it out there. Uh, my number sixteen is a film you already talked about. It was Return of the Return of One of Our Kings. Uh, that is Killer Joe, Billy Friedkin. Um, I love everyone in this film. When the your first in the first thirty seconds of your film, you have Gina Gershon's muff. You have me sold, and you continue to to keep me uh, in your back pocket, as it were, with great performances from your entire cast, um, as well. And, and and the one who's not getting much acclaim, but I think is is as good as anyone in the film, minus McConaughey, is Thomas Aiden Church. Yes, he is. He's very good. He is great in the film. So, and uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey with the most awkward and uncomfortable but realistic portrayal of an orgasm in a film. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to see his O face that close, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's effective. Um, yeah, what a film, K. Fry C. Um, and uh, yeah, moving right along, we will go from a very American film to very much a European film. And this filmmaker, Jacques Ouidard, Ouidard, I'm probably not saying that right. Um, made a film that was very high up, I want to say both of our lists, a few years ago, with a prophet. Yes. Uh, un prophet. Uh, this film he made this year, I had very high hopes for, because of the two leads, Matthias, uh, I want to say it's Schoenartz, he's a Belgian actor, he was the lead in Bullhead, as well as one of the best actresses of our time, Marion Cotillard, and that's Rust and Bone. Oh, okay. Now, this film's been very divisive. I was talking to Loaf about it, and I feel that this film, some of the, he didn't really like the people in the film, and he thought it was a bit aimless, I believe. And I said, well, here's the thing. For me, I, I, I look at those two things as strengths, because people aren't always white knights. People make mistakes, especially when they're younger. And I felt like the film does feel a bit directionless and rudderless, but the character, the two, the two main characters in the film are a bit directionless and rudderless at times. Um, and I feel like their lives weren't running parallel with each other uh, at the same time, which is why it didn't kind of just get in sync with each other. And the film goes on. People make mistakes. People fuck up. People do horrible things. Um, there's some great CGI work in this film, which I don't want to reveal in case you don't know what one of the main uh, things in this film is that involve, in, involves a life-changing thing that happens to one of the characters. Mm -hmm. But... Um, it's a great film in my eyes. I, I love it. I think that um, sort of the thing of a beast, you know, Marion Kutch having a beast change her life, two beasts change her life. Right. One that she works with and one that she falls in love with. And then that beast's life changing because of water, just like a beast changed her life because of water. 
it's very profound stuff and and i i don't think it's its direction was uh unintentional um so that's my number 17 no that's uh wait 15 16 17 that's actually my number 18 sorry my number 19 is my comic book film of the year uh you could probably guess what this is because i've been pretty vocal about my love for this film it's christopher nolan's the dark knight rises oh ah, yes um I saw this at the drive-in in the summer, and it was William and Braden's first drive-in experience. Braden was a trooper, man. He made it through three quarters of the film at like it was like twelve thirty at night. We thought they were going to pass out after Ice Age Four, but you know they're kind of monkeying around. And uh, William stood up for the whole film, so it's uh, although he wasn't watching all of it, thankfully, because there's some stuff I wouldn't want him to watch. But um, I, I love this film. I love that Nolan makes comic book films for adults. I love that his scope and his vision. And the mature themes and the things he wants to deal with in films, because he's working in comic books, doesn't automatically negate those things. Um, I love that he his films made enough money that he could do what he wants to do and, and with the vision he wants. So I, I love the film. And I, I, unlike you, I had no problem with Tom Hardy. I think his performance was incredible. It was a physical performance more than... Um, anything else, you know, with his body and his gestures, but I think that, that Bane was very much a physical character. Uh, he didn't need to, you know, have a lot of stuff with his face. And I love the voice. I, uh, I can't remember who it was that called in the intro, but <laughs> I love that. That was good, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Um, my number, that was 19. My number 20 is a South Korean film. It's the last film I watched before we did this show. It's a director who's not known for his um, optimism in life and humanity, it's Kim Ki-duk's Pieta. Ah, yes. Oh, man. It's about a film. It's a film about um, a really brutal, just cold as fuck, a debt collector who does some awful things to people. And his mother, who has been up in his life, turns up. And some things happen. And... It's an incredible film, and it looks at the the, the 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 ripple effects of life and and how having a, a loving parent in your life changes things. And it's it's a it's a lot of things. I I can't say too much about it without revealing some things, but there are some fucking brutal scenes in this film. I know Love Cram, but I'm curious if it made his list. But Pieta, P I E T A, great film. Nice. Uh, my number 21 is uh, a documentary. Uh, it, it was pretty highly regarded in some critic circles. And despite the title, it, it is this, and it is called This Is Not a Film. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's an Iranian documentary. Uh, you know, Iran's got a pretty great history of cinema, despite being in a, a pretty brutal kind of totalitarian state that, that doesn't allow much for um, creative freedom. And this film is really just um, a quiet protest on the absurdity and the tragedy of uh, Iranians' inability because of their government to to express themselves. Um, it, it's kind of weird. It's 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 very unconventional in that it's it's the fil filmmaker talking about scenes from a film that he was not allowed to make, and he in turn was given a prison sentence for making, and as well as his other creative endeavors, which really weren't all that vocal, but it's just, it makes, makes me thankful to be free and then live in a, a, in a wonderful democratic society. Um, it's unfortunate because, it, and there's a very poignant dedication in the film. He dedicates it to, to all the, I think to all the Iranian artists in the world or to the Iranian filmmakers. 
and it's great. There's some really great slice of life stuff where people that just show up as his apartment unannounced come and and they're in the film now. You know, it's uh, it's very cool. Uh, number twenty two was the second last film I crammed for year end, a three hour Indian film. It was a film that I said to Josh Loaf. Um, oh man, I'm gonna hate myself and Vish. I said, motherfuckers, this is the last Indian film I'm going to watch if this doesn't pay off. <laughs> I don't, I'm tired of singing and dancing. They said, this isn't Bollywood. It's not singing and dancing. You've got to watch it. And Vish called in after singing it, Tiff saying it's got mustaches and it's very GGTMC. And I thought, all right. So it's Gangs of Wasi per part one. No, I didn't get to part two because it's another three hours. Um, but <laughs> this film reminds me a lot of um, of Hong Kong in the 80s. There's some stuff that as much as it's epic in scope, there's some stuff that kind of seems like sloppy, haphazard filmmaking, but other stuff that is has an undeniable energy and, and a visceral kind of payoff. Um, it's epic. It's about two families kind of warring, and the scene at the back end of this film, um, it is very referential to the death of a family member in a very, very influential um, crime family film, which I can't say too much without spoiling it but anyone who's been like fuck ball fuck indian films needs to check out gangs of wasiper it's really good um my number 23 is a film that you mentioned earlier on and i wanted to put this higher on my list but you know we've seen so many great films this year it was a great year for film as always and it's don coscarelli's john dies at the end we already talked about this and and bravo to everyone involved in the film um, the young actors were great everything works perfectly uh, you know great turn by paul giamatti um, everyone's great in the film. Great, great film. It's one that I do want to own. I think it's fun. It's as much fun as I had with the film this year. Uh, number 24 is a documentary that uh, I want to say was for the BBC. Maybe it was Channel 4. Everything it seems like for TV in Britain we say is for BBC. But um, it's a documentary that I kind of really got into this year. I know Zaha's been a fan for a while. A lot of people have. And it's Louis Thoreau. And... With all due respect to After Porn Ends, uh, I feel like this is the great documentary about porn this year, and it was uh, the second half of Louis Thoreau's series, the first half of which was 15 years ago or something like that, and it's Twilight of the Porn Stars. Oh, yeah. Really good stuff, man. Really good stuff. Um, I think, I can't remember the, the one, there's a few pieces I really like in the film. Again, very poignant humanitarian, not humanitarian, but slice of life humanity. How you know the stuff that we love with um, with Randy West? There's some similar stuff in this with a few actors. Um, he follows up with a bunch of actors that he he'd initially profiled 15 years ago on his documentary series. So good stuff. Number 25 keeps the streak alive for me. I'm proud to say it was the first film I saw that had an impression on me this year. And when I say streak alive, I mean it's the fourth or fifth year in a row where I've had a Canadian film on my list. Uh, this film was on Netflix Instant. It is Monsieur Lazar. Uh, you know, this film is one that could easily fall into a lot of obvious traps. It's about um, an Algerian, meaning immigrant, teacher coming to teach in a, in a classroom of, I want to say, like grade six students or grade five students. That can fall into a lot of kind of maudlin sentimentality. And this film walks that balance perfectly. I can't recommend this film enough. It, it warms my heart, this film. Um, it's, it's a really beautiful film. And I know Loaf was a big fan. And 
Vish was a big fan. I really implore him to check it out. It's on Instant, and Lazar is L-A-Z-H-A-R. Um, moving along was my number 26, which was my probably my most pleasant surprise of the year, quite frankly, alongside End of Watch. But this one, even more so than that, I thought. I had no expectations for this. Um, and I saw it last weekend, and I just flipped my lid for it, and I fell in love and I quote the film all the time, and it's and in fact, your son's a big fan of this film. Yeah. <laughs> it's wreck it's wreck it, Ralph. Yeah. I'm gonna wreck it. I'm gonna wreck it, man. I say I'm gonna wreck it all the time, and I and I adjust it to whatever I'm gonna do. Like if we're gonna sit down to eat, yeah. I go, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat it. <laughs> I love this film so much. That's good. Oh, John C. Riley's voice work is so everyone's so great in it, and thank God you were right about Sarah Silverman. Her voice doesn't say annoying yeah. at all. Yeah, it just does it for a little bit, like the intro, really. See, you know what I did? I did a great twenty-four hour double where I got to see Sarah Silverman voice an animated character in a film, and then the next day I got to see her flash her puss on screen and take this waltz. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of cool. But uh, Wreck It Ralph, man, as much as. Um, I love Paranorman and Frankenweenie because they're more more in our wheelhouse. They're kind of macabre, horror-y mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. This was my favorite animated film. I can't recommend this enough. It's got some really great cameos. Yeah, um, it's it's a fantastic film and it looks beautiful. It is gorgeous. Yeah. So yeah, that was my number twenty six. Number twenty seven is a French film which also deals with children, but it deals with them in in, in much more a tragic light. This is my other film directed by a female, by a woman. And it is directed by Mai Wen, who most people would know as the, I don't want to say what her role is, but she's got a very prominent role in High Tension. She's one of the two female leads in that, alongside Cécile de France. And this film is about the child exploitation unit of the Paris Police Department. Um, It's also on Netflix Instant, and police is spelled P-O-L-I-S-S as in Sam E. And... uh, there's a lot of awful shit in this film. Yeah. Um, it's never, it's never, even though it deals with children being exploited, it never feels exploitation. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't leer or rub your nose in anything uh, inappropriate for the sake of shock, which would have been ironic if it exploited situations in the exploitation unit of, of this police department. It has one of maybe my two or three favorite scenes in a film uh, in terms of their dramatic heft. There's a scene in this film with um, I can't remember the, the the actor's name. He's a he's a he's a rapper in, in Paris, Freddie Star or something Star Joey Star. There's a scene with him and a child in this film, and it, and it makes me want to cry just thinking about it. it it's a very powerful scene. Um, so that was my number twenty-eight. My number twenty-nine is when you also mentioned it's a documentary, and it's not about football. It is about life. Uh, it's undefeated, and it goes to show that. Um, the thing I love seeing in films or in documentaries, I love hearing about is stories like this, where these, these are the people that are our heroes. These are the people that we should look up to, not the idiot athletes who have DUIs and smack their wives around and, and, and have seven kids from four women and, you know, everything else under the sun. These are the people that we need to look up to, the people that are making a difference in the lives of children and differences in the lives of people and give of themselves um, in a way that is just beautiful. So, great documentary. Um, my number 30 is, to, to close things out on a muy macho note, is one that might have been further up my list had I had a chance to re-see it. 
But I didn't have a chance to revisit it because um, just cramming other stuff in because I kind of was drifting near the back end of this one. Uh, and that's Joe Carnahan's The Grey. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great film, man. Nice throwback. And Carnahan's definitely a filmmaker who I think is money in the bank if he's making stuff that isn't too glossy. Yeah, it looks great on Blu-ray too, by the way. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Okay, so that's all of our top 30s and everything. I'm going to go through some of the uh, listeners sent in so some of their top 20s, 15s, 10s, 30s. So I'm going to run through them real quick. Um, can I can I just say one thing before you get to that yeah, very quickly? Yeah. Um, just in case anyone wonders, I didn't forget to include Django in my list. Um, I was very let down with Django. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't I don't want to you know we don't have the time unfortunately to go through it but I can tell you I feel that as I think Todd said he does try to have his cake and eat it too, mm-hmm. and I think that some of the stuff he does well in the film he does to great effect but Inglorious Bastards was very much a film that was guys on a mission it could be a bit more rompy but you can't have rompy stuff like a woman getting shot and getting blown back thirty yards and then have um, a man get eaten by a dog and play a very straight face. Um, I was disappointed. I feel like he missed the mark with this film. Um, it would have been an honorable mention for me, but I was very let down. I feel like he tried to appeal to too broad an audience. Um, and despite loving Waltz and, and everyone in the film, um, it just felt a, a very broad stroke to me, and it was a big disappointment. So I just want to get that off. I just think it was, oh, you forgot to put Django. I didn't forget to put Django. Right. It just was, uh, you know. That's what it was. But anyway, let's, uh, let's get into readings from this. All right. Uh, Wendy from over at the uh, Double Page Spread podcast. And then one, I'm not going to say last names on here, just so you'll know who they are. She sent in uh, 20. So we got, uh, I'll go backwards here. 20 was Haywire, 19, Bones Brigade, 18, Silver Linings Playbook, 17, Django Unchained, Wreck-It Ralph, Sound of My Voice, Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is one I tried to cram before the end, but I couldn't get to it. Uh, Looper. Avengers, Killer Joe, Rust and Bone at number 10, Paranorman at number 9, Zero Dark Thirty at number 8, Cabin in the Woods at number 7, 6, John Dies at the End, nice, a strong finisher John Dies at the End there for her, 5, Argo, 4, Skyfall, which I've had, but I haven't watched because uh, I I think I told you off the air I wasn't trying to cram Skyfall for your end, so I'm I'm looking forward to watching it though now that this cramming's over, gotta gotta say, love... uh, Sam Mendes is a filmmaker anyway, so... I, I just realized that I didn't say Argo, which was my number 28. Yeah, well, there you go. Argo. Whoops. I love Argo. There you go, 28. Okay. <laughs> uh, number three, Holy Motors. Number two, Dread. And number one, Raid Redemption. So Wendy was, nice. Wendy was really into the the one man against... The, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I had to tease every time somebody brings those up because they are similar, but not really. So, very interesting. Very okay, cool. the keyboard... You want me to be- I'll read them. I'll read them. I'll read them. The uh, keyboard monkey uh, sent in his. He writes to us every now and then. Now he usually writes very extensive and awesome emails, and this was no this is no exception. But sadly, I'm only going to be able to do the list, uh, Mike. So here we go. Number eleven, Battleship. Number ten, Detention, which is a film I struggled with this year. I don't even know if I liked it or loved it or hated it or what. So it's pretty interesting though. Uh, number nine, Damsels in Distress. Number eight, Planet of Snail, which uh, very curious. Snail trail. Yeah. Very curious to look at that one if you read the, what he wrote down about it. Very curious. Number seven, uh, Kotaku. Kota, Kotaku. Kotaku. Kotaku, <laughs> Kotaku. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, uh, Dark Horse, a Todd Silence film. Some people hated that film, I know, this year. I want to check it out, though. Um, number five, Holy Motors. Um, number four, This Must Be the Place. Yeah. 
<laughs> Number three, Moonrise Kingdom. Again, that's one that speaks to some and not to others. Uh, number two, the gray. Yes. And number one, the Turin horse, which I think they've popped up on some lists last year too. So interested oh, yeah. to see that one. I heard it moves pretty slow. It might be in my wheelhouse actually. <laughs> That's Bellatari. Yeah, he's a tough filmmaker, but rewarding. Yeah. The one and only Kelly sent in a uh, list of what he has. So here he goes. Uh, we'll go from the back. Thirty to one. Here we go. Killing them softly. Uh, John Carter. Goon. Um, Headhunters, Side by Side, Savages, that's just one I didn't get to this year yet, uh, The Avengers, Brave, which is another one I didn't get to this year, <laughs> crazy, I haven't seen that one yet either, I have it even, uh, Cabin in the Woods, uh, Zero Dark Thirty at 21, at 20, The Master, 19, Frankenweenie, 18, Get the Gringo, I like that choice, Get the Gringo that's was good. good, 17, Argo, The Gray, Looper, Magic Mike, Paranorman, Lawless, Haywire, uh, and then here's 10 through 1. Beyond the Black Rainbow, Prometheus, End of Watch, Dread, The Dark Knight Rises, Skyfall, The Paperboy, The nice. Raid, Redemption, Django Unchained, and Killer Joe. So, yeah. Some nice choices. You know, a lot of these lists are great. They've had some real kind of uh, marks that are similar to ours. It's just nice to see that. Yes, so. it is, is interesting. And then Greg, who supplies us with some awesome disco, uh, he sent over a top five that he saw this year so far. I'll go five to one. The Paperboy, uh, number five. Rust nice. Bone, Dread. Nice. Uh, the Comedy, which uh, CDR also liked quite a bit. And uh, Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning, is his number one film that he saw awesome. in 2012. I still haven't seen it yet. So I've uh, I've got the blue. Nice. Um I had a mysterious print send me the blue for that and Universal Soldier Regeneration. So in the upcoming weeks on the GTMC, I'm going to be watching all six Universal Soldier films. Sweet. Hey, we forgot one list, though. What was that? Uh, we forgot Paul's list. I think that was top 30 first-time scenes. Yes. Okay. You it want, was. You want to do that? I'll, I'll bang it off quick. Number three, right. going 30 Good. to 1. Antichrist. And again, he had some nice little notes, but we, we sadly don't have the time to get to them. Antichrist. Attack the Block. Milano Caliber 9. The Dark Knight Rises, The Descendants. This is actually a mix of lists. Yeah. Ooh, I think I'm on hold. There. Hello. I'm here. <laughs> Someone was calling. Uh, the Descendants, Drive, Fallen Angels, Insidious, The Italian Connection, Kill List, Lone Wolf and Cub Series, uh, Lost in Translation, Martyrs, Midnight in Paris, the Orphanage, Paradise Lost, one through three, Prometheus, Red Hill, See the Sea, that's S-E-E, the S-E-A, nice. <laughs> Time to Leave, which we'll be doing here shortly, uh, Troll Hunter. <laughs> I'm on hold again. <laughs> there you go, I'm if back. I, if I hit ignore, why would you call again? That's peculiar. <laughs> um uh, Prometheus, Red Hill, C to C, which we said, Spirits of the Dead, nice. Uh, Time to Leave, Troll Hunter, True Grit, 2010, uh, Tyrannosaur, The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, Kiss Me Deadly, oh, nice. Let the Right One In, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, mm. Toy Story 3, and <laughs> the, you, and the, and the Innocence. What's this? You really want 
They really want to. They really want to get a hold of you there. They do. Hey, wait, wait, wait! Come here, come here, guys, guys, quickly! We got, we're almost out of time. Say hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddies. <laughs> Say what's going on. What's going on? Not much. So just... We're, we're just we're finishing our show up here, guys. We're up here, guys. No, we're doing that, Bubby. <laughs> Okay, say, Sam, have a great day. Have a great day. <laughs> I'll see you guys. <laughs> I, was telling him, I was telling him, we're going to wreck it. <laughs> mine, will be up, right. mine will be up shortly, too. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, so that is our Big Top 30 show. We hope you enjoyed. Um, now we can get back to watching some garbage. <laughs> yeah, I said to my wife, we're getting into some 70s. <laughs> Surreal Japanese films and Mexican biker films. Yeah. <laughs> she was not happy. Yeah. yeah, I told my wife, I was like, you'll be walking in, there'll be a lot of rape going forward. <laughs> <laughs> so next week we're doing our Diabolic show. We're uh, doing, uh, it was your time to choose. So uh, if once <laughs> I'm on hold again. So <laughs> I was, I was saying, I was saying it was your turn to select for Diabolic. Do you want to say what you're, uh, we're covering next week? Yeah, we're going to be doing Jean Roland. We're going to get him on the show with um, with Bridget Lahi, and we're going to get Fascination, which is actually on Netflix Instant right now. Yes. And with that, we're going to be doing a film that was released by the BFI about a very sensational series of um, of crimes. Oh, hang on, man. Oh, I don't want to eat hamster food. <laughs> I'm okay. I don't want it. That's honey. It's uh, it's the Black Panther, which yes. is what a series of crimes in England. I want to say in the early sixties. Yes. All right. So that's what we're covering next week. Come here, come here, come here. I'm hearing Stern in the other room as well. So, oh boy, I'm gonna have to run. All right, guys, guys, say say adios. 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 There we go. All right, we'll say adios. Adios. No, no, step cover. Squirrel blow is both up, man. I don't care. Back off!